Hey, I'm Zach. And I'm Dan. And, and this, this is The, the Wrong, Wrong Order. Order. But we are Fiery Friends. And this is episode 44. And also episode one of our new series, Scripture, Scripture Summaries. Because we decided we are going to rebrand it just in case like 63 books in or something. And we have to do it on a Monday or something. We were like, you know, like, let's just call it Scripture Summaries now because if we call it scripture sundays we kind of lock ourselves into a day of the week and who knows where our lives will be like 25 sundays from now you know we don't like being locked in yeah but we do like being locked into this to this quest to do one podcast about all 66 books of the bible and it's gonna be good it's gonna be great to summarize them all over the course of however long it takes and today we're starting the journey dan how are you feeling about this journey well i mean we're in the book of daniel Yes, it's Daniel. my book. It's I'm literally very excited. Named after you. There's no better way to start than the book named after our own fiery friend, Daniel. I love this book so much. I'm gonna tell you just a quick, just a quick blurb about how my life experience was reading through the book of Daniel. Yeah. While working my full time sub job at Heritage Christian School. Right, yeah, because Dan Dan has been reading this week. Like we've had this whole week of reading and Dan's been doing a lot of substitute teaching. So he's been able to read in the middle of the week. How's it been, Dan? I love it. I just kinda they have these ESV study Bibles yeah. all over the school. Oh that's perfect. So they all look the same. <laughs> And everyone's got their initials like big and either carved on the bottom or written in Sharpie or something. Yeah. So I just grab one of someone's old books from an old student who left their book behind and didn't take it. And then I read Daniel out of it. And it's great because the ESV study Bible comes with this nice little like, it's got the little, uh, the little deeper section at the bottom. Yeah. Where you go a little bit deeper with a little bit of commentary mm-hmm. to help you fill in, which is super helpful in the book of Daniel. Yeah, true. There's some parts that are very hard to understand without context. So yeah. it's Context important. is key. Commentary is cool. I know it's just some random person's opinion, but mm-hmm. it's probably they probably discussed it and then write it down after they discussed it. Hopefully yes. hopefully they discussed it when they put it in the study Bible. But there's this one moment that I really appreciated a lot. I walk into Mr. Peranto's classroom, first hour. He's basically my twin. Mm-hmm. We're both super chill and have similar looks and vibes like rock climbing and are just, you know, chill bro teachers. Yeah. And everyone's like, you guys are the same. You sound the same. You act alike, blah, blah, blah. But he's a he's a Bible teacher mm-hmm. through and through. Every class, all day long, he teaches Bible. He lives it, eats it, breathes it. Bible is his life. Yes. So I walk in and he is blasting the Stranger Things soundtrack. Oh, which is the most random, random thing. It's super random. Yeah. It's this show that I'd heard a lot about for a while, and then I ended up watching with Ellie this last summer, and I got really into and I think it's super cool, and I'm excited for season four. It's coming out in May 25th, four days before my wedding. Yeah. What up? It's going to be crazy. Yeah. But just the vibe of this music, it was like... So he had it cranked, and he's got this big Bluetooth speaker. Dang, this so is like, like the whole room is just and that soundtrack while I'm reading apocalyptic scripture <laughs> was like amazing. Bit. It definitely I figured sets the tone. out it was beautiful, and then we had a little dialogue about what it's like to read the Bible to different genres of music. Mm-hmm. He said he has different thoughts about the Bible when he's reading like jazz, contemporary, classical, this. 
And then he sits down and he's like, Daniel. And he whips out the Bible and goes like straight to the book of Daniel because he's the Bible teacher professor. And he's like, I know all about this stuff. Whoa, what a guy. And he he rips it open and goes straight to chapter 9 and points at verses 26 through like 30. And he reads it and he's like, this is crazy insane. Is this about Jesus or the Antichrist? Because it says he and we don't know which he it is. That's what I think when I think of Daniel. And I was like, whoa. Oh, my. <laughs> but, yeah, I really appreciated reading Daniel to that music soundtrack in the background. And yeah. the rest of my Daniel reading was not as awesome as that. I'm not going to lie. Oh, really? I had a lot of chapter times where I'd be reading and subbing. And people would come up and distract me. Oh. So my reading of Daniel was not, like, primo at that moment. Yeah. But I read it and I enjoyed it. And then I think, like, chapters, like, 7 through 11, mm-hmm. I read while I was being the... Uh, the receptionist for the school. And okay, everyone left gotcha. me alone and I got in the zone. So those were really good things. You really zoned in on those ones. <laughs> so yeah, those were some of my random dealings with the book of Daniel recently. Nice. That's super cool. Nice, bro. I'm super excited to dive into Daniel too. Like, I think for me, like the chapters that like jumped out to me the most were probably one to six. Cause it's more like the story. The apocalyptic stuff is like super intense, but it sometimes loses me a little bit. Cause I'm just like, it's so hard to understand, you know, mm-hmm. just like, and like, even like the most scholarly Christian people like disagree and have like arguments about how, what it actually means, but it's still just so interesting to talk about and to look into and to just get into this book of the Bible. So are you ready to dive in? Yeah, dude. So we'll start off with the narrative part of it. Yeah. So before we dive in, I'm just going to like kind of set the stage for what you guys can expect from the scripture summary episode. So basically every episode we're going to structure on this concept of the God of the past, the present, and the future, okay? So we're going to start with the past. We're going to talk about basically, like, who was the writer of the book? Like, what was the context of the book? Like, when was it written? And then also just, like, what were our past experiences with it? Like, what did we think about Daniel before we read it this week? Like, was it a book we loved, hated, never heard about? Like, and so different books are going to have different things for that. Then we're going to talk about God of the present. That's going to be our present experience. Like, in this week that we read Daniel what stood out and we'll also just kind of go through the chapters like kind of one by one i mean some books we won't be able to do one by one like we're not going to go through all 150 psalms when we get there but like (laughs) but for this one i feel like there's not too much content overall so we'll probably just like loosely go through each chapter and talk about the present takeaways favorite chapters favorite verses favorite moments Mm. and then we'll move to the god of the future section which is just application it's asking like how does this book apply to the greater biblical story and everything that god has done in scripture and like how do the pieces add up to jesus and then how can we apply the themes or like the different things that we learn from the book in our lives today so that's basically the model god of the past present future so let's dive in to the past well i'm psyched yeah so daniel um as a book was written by daniel <laughs> i don't know who would have guessed um dude he was such a faithful servant to the lord he really is like it's super cool and do you like, think was he writing this book as they were doing that one thing where he would continually pray even though he was supposed to not pray do you think he was writing ooh. down some of this book while he was doing that i think it's possible i think it was more like i think it's probably more likely he wrote it all like after all the stories that already finished though because it's hard to write your story when you're in the middle of your story. You know hey, you could have some of it written down. I mean, maybe he like wrote it in a journal and then he's like, okay, now I'm going to make the professional version that I send out to all the fans. I'm like, yeah. yeah. But, then, but also like in the last chapters, he talks about how like 
you know, the angels were basically telling him, like, yo, hide this away, like, until it's the time to reveal, like, these prophecies that you mm. received from the Lord. So, like, who knows when he got it all, to be honest. Like, it's so interesting. It's so interesting, like, he was so close to the Lord that, like, he had, like, those conversations with God about timing. Like, it wasn't just, like, God, like, reveal yourself to me, but it was, like, God, like, you revealed yourself to me and you told me, like, In to keep right it timing. secret. Yeah. yeah. That's, like, a big theme of the book, I feel like. There's, like, a lot of secrets here in Daniel. It's kind of very interesting, but super cool but anyways uh as far as like the dates and the historical time that this was written it says in my bible around 535 bc so like about 500 years before jesus showed up Mm -hmm. um and i i was doing some research and it said that historically that's around the same time because like daniel's like you said more apocalyptic and more there's like some narrative in it but like the main biblical like historical accounts from like you know, from, like, the Torah to, like, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther area, like, it kind of falls in the area of Second Kings 24, like, when Israel's going to exile. So, mm. kind of sets the stage for Set what's stage, about to yeah. happen. And then, um, as far as, like, previous times I've read Daniel, the only time I can remember is when I read it with Daniel a couple of years ago. <laughs> Me and Dan, we just decided to read the book, like... I don't even know why, to be honest. I, I I don't even remember what year it was. I feel like it might have been 2016. I think so. That feels We wanted right. to read a book together. Yeah. And I feel like I was really uh, a prideful man back then. Really? <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. That's probably not true. Yeah. I just, I've always liked the book of Daniel. Right. So I feel like I was just, down. I was like, Daniel? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah. I mean, it feels like the right. You said sure? I think we read it. It was, it was either 2016, like the first year, like after we became super tight and you were like sleeping at my house all the time. Or it was like... <laughs> See, you said, you've been sleeping in my house a lot. We should read through a book of the Bible together. It, it might have been that, or it was either it was either that, or it was like my first year home from Bible college. We might have did it like during one of my winter breaks. I don't remember which one it was, but... But either way, we went through it. I remember loving it. Like, I, I've also heard like a lot of the stories from Daniel in Sunday school. Like, I think like the two big things you always kind of hear from Daniel, like, like the big Daniel point... Or I guess there's three. There's three big Daniel points that get talked about most of the time and these, these are like the things i already had in my head before i go into this book and there's like the one is like the lion den story like everybody knows about daniel and the lion's den you know that's just like something that like you hear sunday school it's like super easy to tell kids they even do it in veggie tales like yeah they love daniel and the lion's yeah den. daniel and the lion's den then you also have the fiery furnace rack shack and benny also in veggie tales <laughs> and then you also you know just like have this whole like future apocalyptic stuff at the end i feel like those are like the three biggest things from daniel that you kind of know about before you actually like dive in i don't know dan how, how would you say i'm not gonna lie that's exactly what i remembered before i read daniel and <laughs> yeah i was like yeah 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 yeah. i love daniel in the lion's den because it's a classic and there's really good songs about in veggie tales and also it's just it feels relatable because sometimes we just get thrown into lion's dens in life and it feels like it's a bunch of scary beasts but the Lord can calm them down and tame them, make them your friends, mm-hmm. and save you in the midst of all your trials. Yeah. Which is really beautiful. I know it's going to be more application later. But. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, but, I, like, I was... Uh, so, to be honest, like, before reading Daniel this time, like, I was... I always, like... I was, I've always been a Fiery Furnace fan. Like, I love the Fiery Furnace story, and I, I, I still love it. And when we get into it, like, I'll talk about that, but... But the Lion's Den story used to always, like, be so overrated to me. I was like, it's not that exciting. It's just lions. It's okay. so good. But then, like, I read it. Yeah, and I read it, and I was like, whoa, actually, I can see why people like this now. And, like, I, I like, got way more hyped. So, like, now I, now I get the hype. But, like, 
going into this reading, I was just like, eh, Daniel Lyons Den, like, it's like the 38th best Bible story, like, it's probably not that good, but then I was like, whoa, it's actually good. So, like, I'm so into it. I'm so excited to talk about it more. Um, but yeah, so I guess just the last thing on the God of the Past, I also had, like, this one friend of mine named Madeline. Madeline, her, her last name's Pena. She's having <gasps> another baby soon. Yeah, um, Yeah, we know her. She, she was one of my friends from my old Bible college, Bethany Global University, and more there was a time when she... Like, in the middle of, like, a worship set or something, she, like, came up to me with, like, this Bible verse from Daniel and, like, encouraged me with it. And it's in Daniel chapter 10. And that's, like, the only other memory I had of Daniel besides reading it with Daniel. <laughs> and so, um, so I'll talk about that verse more later. But, like, that's the other thing I always remember about Daniel from my past is just, like, that one verse that speaks to me. So uh -huh. stay tuned and you'll find out what it is. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. I really like, I like the apocalyptic part. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's pretty crazy. I like number seven. Just saying. Chapter seven? Yeah. It's a pretty iconic chapter. It's so good. It's so good. About it. All right. So I guess that's the main stuff from the past. Are you ready to move to the present? I love the present. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so I guess just to start this section off, let's just, I just kind of want to break down like the whole, like how the book is structured. So for this, we use the Bible project as a help guide. If you've never like read the bible before or had any context for the bible before and just want like a easy way to like break it down like the bible project is super helpful oh yeah like they just have these videos on youtube that just visualize like what are the themes what are the chapters it's a really good place to start um so they they talk about how chapters one to six in daniel are mostly about daniel and his friends exiled adventures mm -hmm. and then chapters 7 to 12 are kind of what we've already kind of been alluding to is like this apocalyptic visions and stuff and apocalyptic for any of you who might not know what that means is basically just like things that might have to do at the end of the world <laughs> so it's true apocalypse technically means revelation of a mystery oh really mm -hmm. i didn't even know that dan you did the research yes sir <laughs> So it's just really cool because the mystery is like what's going to happen later because everyone talks about that. There's all these different theories about the end of the world, about when ap apocalyptic things come to pass. But yeah, the whole point of apocalypse is that it's the mystery revealed. Yeah. So it's super cool because it gives you a window into what it's going to look like. And then if you're familiar with it, when it starts happening, you, you sh the idea is that you're less scared because mm -hmm. you're like, oh, that's like in Daniel. I see what's happening. I see the timeline. And I know that there's victory in the end. True. It gives you like, yeah, it gives you a little bit of insight before the thing happens. Mm -hmm. You're ready for it when it does happen. That's good. That's so good. Yeah, man. So anyways, I guess like, just like, I guess before we go into the specific chapters, like overall, I mean, like you already kind of shared a little bit with at the beginning, just about like your amazing experience reading as a substitute teacher with... <sighs> Awesome Bible guys music in the background. That was a moment in time. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, but overall, like, was there any specific chapter that, like, stood out to you the most that you were like, this chapter was it. Like, this is what got me. Like, uh, the, uh, the best moment. I really... I was diving in on chapter... Like, the end of chapter 10. Because it seemed really confusing to me. Ooh. And then as I was reading, like, the, the study guide part of it, it was just, it was kind of like, I understood it. Okay, this was the thing that was really, really, really cool to me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
yeah, in chapter 10, there's, I, I don't see it right now, but the, the whole point is that there's an angel of the Lord, I think it's Michael, mm-hmm. sent to go tell Daniel this message to like keep him, like keep him up, keep his head on straight, keep him going like towards what he's going to be doing. Daniel's going to be like, he's got a lot of things coming his way and it's really important for him to stay strong and it's really hard to stay strong when all this crazy stuff's happening in life. But this dude's on his way. And then it would usually go over my head, but it talked about how uh, there was an opponent who struggled with him. I think, yeah, the glorious man faced opposition from the prince of the kingdom of Persia and was helped by Prince Michael. So there was this other prince who basically it was demonic forces holding back a messenger of the Lord for 21 days. Which is crazy, because the Lord, like, sent this messenger to go tell Daniel this message, and the messenger is on his way, and for 21 days he's at bay, and he battles with this demonic opposition, and then, uh, I think Michael or Gabriel ends up coming in and helps him break free from the opposition so that he can come and deliver the message to Daniel to bring him strength in a time of need. And that was, I don't know why, that one really hit me. Yeah. Almost to tears. It was just the beauty of, like, the Lord's messengers are so dedicated. Yeah. Like someone gives you a message and it's just like, it's a really good message and you got to share it with someone. And then you fight this bad dude for 21 days. Right. And like you stick with it and you keep fighting until someone comes through and helps you break through. And then you get to finally give the message to yeah. the person you want to give the message to. I feel like that moment is really beautiful for the messenger wow. and for Daniel at the same moment. And it was just, it was crazy because, like, I read through that real quick and I was like, and then the Prince of Persia, 21 days, blah, 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 blah. And then I read in little fit notes in the bottom. I was like, oh, that's super cool. Yeah. It's just the messenger of the Lord fighting against the forces of evil. And then uh, the Lord's right hand, Michael, oh coming through and, like, helping him get yeah. the message to Daniel. And I was like, that's not something I've ever thought about in the book of Daniel before. But, right. like, out of all the apocalyptic stuff, that was just something that was beautiful and it's definitely got a lot of application stuff where just mm-hmm. like the Lord gives message to us. He'll give a message to us in a lot of different ways yeah. and in a lot of different times and moments. And he knows it's exactly when we need it. And sometimes he sends it at just the right time. And then the devil like fights against him to hold yeah. it back so right. that it's at a poor timing. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes things in life have to be, you know how we talk about how like sometimes the Lord isn't yes immediately. It's like, wait, yeah, a lot of the weight. <laughs> yeah, I know this is super deep and random and it just popped in my head, but what if some of those moments are weight because the message hasn't arrived yet because it's being held back by demonic oppression and evil forces? I don't yeah. know. That's yeah. just it's something live wonder. raw yeah. thoughts. That's, that's, it could be a that's wonder. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Like, I think I found the verse that you're talking about. So it says in Daniel ten thirteen, just... But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so, like, it's kind of, like, kind of crazy, like, that, like, what you, like, I, I totally didn't latch on to that at all. Just, like, this idea of, like, like, for 21 days, like, there was this blocking. Like, there was, like, a delay in the message, like. That's just so crazy to me to think about. And yeah, it is, it's interesting and it's powerful like that. Like God's sending people to deliver the message to us. Yeah. I totally forgot this other part, but during those 21 days, 
Daniel had been fasting because he was in mourning. Yeah, I saw that too. That's so cool. And it it shows that like, like, you know, God was sending this messenger to comfort him. You know? Yeah. It was cool because like the whole time the messenger hasn't arrived yet, but mm-hmm. Daniel is still being faithful and following through with the fast in mourning. And then all of a sudden he sees the glorious man clothed in linen, girded with a golden belt. His face was like lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet were like burnished bronze, and his voice like that of a multitude. Daniel's companions didn't see the vision, but they were terrified, and they fled. And the glorious man said he had faced opposition for the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and was helped by the prince Michael. And Daniel feels overwhelmed by weakness, but is reassured and told to be strong. Yeah. Yeah. The glorious person says he must fight the prince of Persia and then the prince of Greece. Michael assists him. He has confirmed and strengthened Darius. But yeah, it's just super crazy. Because all, all of a sudden, after 21 days of mourning, you're really weak. I don't understand mm-hmm. that. I've been through 21 days of fasting before. You've also... Yeah. We've had different amounts of fasting. But fasting at the end of it, like you're super weak. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that a glorious messenger showed up mm-hmm. and gave him strength just... I don't know why. That one hit me pretty hard. Yeah, it just puts you in a place of dependency on God. And it's really easy to see yourself in that situation. Like, specifically for me, chapter 10, like spoiler alert like that verse i was talking about earlier that my friend madeline like encouraged me with was, was it in 10? um it was in chapter 10 yeah it was chapter 10 at the end of the chapter um you have daniel and he's just kind of like in awe of the fact that like god is sending him this messenger and in verses 17 to 19 he says how can someone like me your servant talk to you my lord my strength is gone and i can hardly breathe and then the one who looked like a man touched me again and i felt my strength returning don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace be encouraged, be strong. And as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, Please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. And and those verses are one thing. And then there's also these other verse, uh, this other verse in verse 12, which kind of goes along with that same theme, where earlier um, the angel says, then he said, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. Mm. I have come in answer to your prayer. And so like both of those both of those two sections, like my friend Madeline encouraged me with those verses because, you know, in my own life I've had these moments where it's been super easy to feel like, you know, how am who am I to talk to the God of the universe? Who am I to be in relationship with the God of the universe? Like, who am I that God thinks that he could use me. But then you see here that it's very clear that this angel's communicating to Daniel. Like, for one, like, in verse 12, he's talking about how since the very first day that he humbled himself and started praying and fasting and being broken, like, God was listening the whole time. Even if the message or the breakthrough took more time to happen, from the very beginning, God was listening. And then in verse 18, it talks about how, or 19, it talks about how like, we don't have to be afraid because we're precious to God. And I think it's sometimes easy to, like, I mean, it's hard to just, like, even think about that idea of, like, being precious to God. Like, how can we be precious to the God of the universe who has, like, created everything in the entire world? Like, he cares about you and me mm. so deep and so personal. And so, like, those verses are ones that will always stick with me. And just, like, going through again, it totally hit me in verse or in chapter 10 once again. Um and I empathize with Daniel's character. And the other thing that I noticed as I was going through chapter 10 this time was just about how 
in those scriptures, like, Daniel's actually, like, an adult. Like, because, like, when you think about Daniel, like, sometimes you think about, like, the earlier stories where he's, like, the young kid who's just, like, you know, like, taken into captivity and, you know, and even in the Lion's Den story, he's a lot older than, like, you see, like, because in Sunday school, they always make him look like a kid, like, because they were teaching kids, right? So, like, they want them to, like, see Daniel as, like, this kid, but, but all these stories are actually happening when Daniel's a much older person, and, like, as someone who's an adult now, like, it's interesting to see the biblical characters through the lens of who they actually were, like, as adults, like, adults mm. that are still children of God, and are still so desperate and so needy and so weak and it's beautiful that daniel as this like adult man like this is almost the end of his life where he's having this vision like the very near the end of everything is where he's having this moment of humility and brokenness and it's like you know sometimes adults can get so built up and like i'm an adult like i have pride i'm a man like but this this is so beautiful to see that daniel's like in his adulthood in his being older like even at that point in his life that he still has like a humility he still has this willingness to go before god and say like hey like i i I don't feel worthy and then like the angel reminds him and that's the other thing is like sometimes as adults like we still need those reminders from god like we never like graduate from jesus like we never graduate from knowing like everything about who god is like me and you we've done our jesus Mm -hmm. programs like you did ihop i did ywam like we've done our, our jesus programs but we never graduate from knowing God, we never get to this point of like epiphany, like I'm Daniel, like, <laughs> like but no, like, <laughs> but but there's always identity is always growing. Yeah, there's always wow. there's always more to find, and and that's the excitement of diving into this stuff. Um, yeah, man. So all that to say, um, you want to just kind of start from chapter one and go like a little more chronological. I know we just started with chapter 10 because it's probably like the best chapter. But Yeah, no, it's so good. <laughs> I'm glad I picked the best one to be the best one. Honestly, like it, it's it's one of the chapters because like honestly, like some people probably won't make it through this whole podcast, but they'll hear about chapter 10. Yeah, that's so, the like, goal. I was like, yeah, good call. If nothing else, you have to hear about chapter 10 because it's so underrated. It's so good. And it has like that beautiful truth in it. Um, but chapter one, so this... Real quick, real quick. Yeah. It ties into what we're talking about in no, chapter yeah, 10. No, yeah, hit it before we move on. Yeah. So yeah, I looked over at my bookshelf, and yeah. I remembered that my friend Brian East had told me that whenever you read the Bible, man, you gotta get the Zondervan handbooked to the Bible. Oh, interesting. So I bought a copy of it. And Shout I, out to Brian East. Yeah, dude. I used to carry this around with me at IHOP all the time, and I whip it out whenever I read the Bible. Yeah. And it's a good companion to have next to you, because it always gives you a little bit of the history. It goes a little bit deeper into it than... Uh, the Bible Project does, and this also does like a chapter by chapter breakdown, which That's is super so cool. That's so helpful, yeah. I know, awesome stuff. But the message of the entire book of Daniel Ooh, that's goes good. like this, which is it's a lot of chapter ten in here. Yeah. So the whole book of Daniel comes down to the main thrust of the book being clear: God, the God of Israel, is sovereign ruler of the world at all times and in all places. For His people, this means one thing total loyalty to him no matter how powerful the opposing forces god will in due time his own time defeat them all yo that's the book of daniel dang that's That's a really good break that's the heart of it (laughs) and in all three of these different things that we're talking about with the fiery furnace and the lion's den and apocalyptic and especially chapter 10 where you were literally just talking about how the lord knows you yeah and he's going to show up and the one part that i brought up where he had opposition but then the lord sent michael and god will in due time defeat them all yeah like it's just 
so cool. It's so real. <laughs> and that, that that's like such a good like summary point for the book. And I love it. Love it so much, man. And then one more thing real quick. Yeah. Who, who is Daniel? Yeah, who is Daniel? He? From the text, we learn that Daniel was a Judean exile at the court of Babylon, taken there as a boy a few years earlier than Ezekiel and the first main batch of exiles. He belonged to a noble, possibly royal family, and was exceptionally able and intelligent. Daniel's role in the stories which make up the first part of the book is as much that of statesman as prophet. Yeah. So, that's who Daniel is. Now, what happened? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, yeah, let's just dive into that, who Daniel is. So I really love the beginning of the book because it talks a lot about just how Daniel and then his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which mm -hmm. eventually become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which they're better known as. Um, like, I, I wrote down here that in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1, it talks about how um, they, when they first, so basically, like, these guys are, like, captives. Like, they're being taken from Israel and being instated in Babylon as servants and the first three years that they're in Babylon, like it talks in the Bible about how they are just learning the language and like the literature of this new country and this new culture. And like, mm. and that's just so interesting to me. Cause like, as somebody who just came back from doing missions in Mongolia, like, and didn't know the language and didn't know the culture. And it was like really hard. Like it kind of like gives me a whole new perspective of just like looking at like these young, like, young kids and you know i did like the math on their ages and like they're around 15 years old when this is all happening so they're like super young and just being brought into a completely different culture than they're familiar with and you know having like three whole years like to just completely like basically learn their whole life all over again but the only roots and foundation that they have is what they know about the god of israel and what they know about you know the jewish laws and what they need to follow mm. and specifically in terms of like the eating habits and things like that. And so the first chapter is like really all about how, you know, coming into Nebuchadnezzar's courts, like, you know, they're being told like, Hey, like, you know, you got to eat the food that we're providing you. But then Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they all, they don't want to eat it because they want to be obedient to God and they don't know what to do. And so at first, First, so they, basically what they do is they go to the commander and they tell him like, Hey, like we're not, we don't want to eat this, but if you give us 10 days to just eat vegetables and water and see if we're still performing, cause that was the reason why they wanted them to eat the same food as everybody else. Cause they're like, Oh, you're like, we you, can't have you be looking different and underperforming. Yeah. You'll look, cool. you'll look all scrawny if you just eat vegetables and water, but my job is to make it look good. So yeah. But then God, like in 10 days of them just eating vegetables and water, they end up becoming like even stronger than the other men who yeah, were eating, jacked and like eating Nebby's food. And so I love Nebby. Honestly, Nebby. Okay. low key, I'm get, I'm so excited to get to chapter four because I love, like I did not expect to love Nebuchadnezzar as much as I love him in this story. Like he's just so so interesting. And <laughs> he's very interesting. Everybody always thinks of him as like this big bad guy and he has his moments, but <gasps> but I really love Nebby. Like uh, Nebby, shout out to you, Nebuchadnezzar. Ne I call him Nebby because Nebby's just easier to say. But anyways, all that being said, like, yeah, so this chapter is really cool because it kind of just like births this idea that is very common in church culture today of this thing called the Daniel fast, right? Like yes, this is where the name comes, comes from. Straight out of Daniel 1. It comes from Daniel. It's interesting because in this chapter, though, it talks about them fasting for 10 days. And I feel like most Daniel fasts, like 21. Every, everybody says 21. I'm like, why? It says 10 in the book. Like, I didn't really understand that. But it was interesting to me. We got to take it further, you know? Yeah, they're like, hey, like Daniel it. did 10. Like, we got to be cooler than Daniel. We do 21. <laughs> I don't know. 
but it's super interesting. Um, yeah, Dan, do you have any other thoughts on chapter one? Like, yeah, I was just, I like the fact that, so they're, they're taken from their place and then in order to submit to their new Babylonian role and kingdom in place, like the first thing they do is they rename them. Yeah. So they give them Babylonian names to take away like their history and their heritage and like all things that they're familiar with. So like immediately they're trying to like brainwash, rebrand them and make them into Babylonian people when like they're children of the king and they've grown up uh, just knowing all these different things. So that's the the big thing where like they're giving them the different food and it's like, yo, you changed our names. You can't change your diet. Like mm-hmm. this is the nutrients. This is what the Lord has told us to do. Like the Lord definitely gave us names. I feel like they keep, I bet they kept using like their old names with each other, even though yeah. they gave a new Babylonian name. Right. I feel like they're a bunch of rebels because this whole book is about them being rebels. <laughs> but I just think it's really cool that like, they're like, okay, you can rename us, but you can't change like the way that we love and worship and trust the Lord above all else. Yeah. No, I agree. I think like one specific chapter or verse that I really like too is in verse 17, it talks about how God gave these young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And this kind of sets up the whole entire book and the whole entire idea of like Daniel is a visionary. Daniel's a dreamer. Like he gets all these words from the Lord. Um, but, but what I like about that verse also is just, it says that God like blessed these young guys with this ability to learn the language to learn the culture and with the different names i think that's like a a big part of it is like they adopt the culture like by taking on these names and i kind of agree with what you said too that daniel like like i mean daniel's writing this book and in most of the book he refers to himself as daniel but then sometimes he'll be like oh yeah they also called him belteshazzar or whatever but like Mm -hmm. but like but actually i'm still daniel (laughs) and like you can tell that he's just like more attached to his like birth name but yeah no because uh in verse seven it talks about so the the endings of the hebrew names being an el or iah so mm -hmm. they're all l or ias uh those endings link them with the name of israel's god Oh. And at least one of the new names, Belshazzar, is linked to that of a Babylonian god. Right. And that explains why he more often identifies with his Hebrew name. Yeah. So it's not just like the remembrance. It's like their names literally had them like attached to the Lord. Yeah. And like when they said each other's names, they were reminded of uh, how. I feel like that's like a super big thing in Hebrew yeah. names. It's like we know them. They know they would know the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. Like these days you ask people if they know the meaning of their name and they never know. And right. They love, they love hearing about it. And it's fun sharing people the meaning of their name because it gives them insight into who they yeah. are. But it's just really cool that, like, when they said the names, it reminded them that we are the Lords, that we are beloved. Even in this yeah. new place, we are still the Lords. So and cool. they were trying to get them to continue to say that they are under the Babylonian God. Yeah. And they just refused to be reassociated with the God of Babylonia. Yeah, that's so cool. I really love that. And I love that. It's just so cool to me how they, like, take on this culture. Like, because, again, like, it kind of, like, connects again to, like, me being overseas in Mongolia. Like... And just mm. the idea of overseas missions, like, you know, like in Mongolia, they would give us Mongolian names. They would call me Hada. Like it meant, Aww. it meant rock. <laughs> that was like my Mongolian name. And so like when I see these people getting renamed, it kind of gives me like a different perspective now. Cause it's like, you know, I went through something similar and like, and I really like, again, verse 17, just cause it, it talks about like how God like gave them the ability to understand when they were on this mission too. And it just like, it gives me hope for the future of just like 
missions like in my life or in anybody's life that's like called to missions or ministry like that maybe is like oh i can't do this like that god like will equip you and he will prepare you for the field that you need to be involved in and you know it, it says like that he gave daniel exactly what he needed to to be able to interpret these dreams and visions as we'll see in the coming chapters mm-hmm. and, and so like it's incredible how they you know learn this culture and it kind of sets up for the next chapter so you ready to dive in chapter two yes bro chapter two let's go yeah so chapter two is the first story of a dream and we have like king nebuchadnezzar he's having this dream and in verses one to 13 he's talking about it and it's so interesting because like he doesn't even want to tell anybody the dream and Mm. like something i noticed is that like as he's talking about his dream like he's literally like he's telling all of the all of the you know, sorcerers and dream interpreters or whatever. He's saying like, guys, tell me what my dream was and tell me what it means. And they're like, how can we tell you what it means if you don't even tell us what it is? And so like, and so they're like all so confused. They're like, how can I tell you this? And so he's basically gets to the point where he's absolutely like lost it. And so he's like, I'm just going to kill every single dream interpreter in my entire city. Every like wise person, unless wow. they, unless they tell me what my dream means. I need to know what my dream was. And so you have Daniel and you have Azariah and Mishael and Hananiah. They're all like, Oh gosh, we got to figure out what this dream means. Like, or else we're going to get killed. And, um, and so it's interesting to me that in verse 18, Daniel is talking to the other guys and he's saying, it says that he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. And that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And so it's really cool to me that Dan Daniel like didn't just do this on his own, but he like got all the guys together and was like, hey, like we need to figure out God's heart. We need to have him reveal this to us. So let's all like pray together. And then, you know, then God does come through and reveal it to Daniel. But it's cool to me that he urges his friends to be a part of like this intercessory thing of like, let's ask God to show us the secret. And it's cool that God can like show us supernatural secrets. Like this is evidence that it can happen, you know, Wow. which, you know, sometimes we don't remember that stuff. Like in like daily life, it's easy to forget about the supernatural, but like this entire chapter is just so such a testament to like how God can do the impossible. Like it literally would be impossible for like, you didn't know what somebody's dream was. Like, first of all, like Nebi wouldn't even tell Daniel like what the dream was. So he like literally didn't remember. He yeah. woke up with an uneasy impression and said, I don't remember what that was, but I feel like I need to know. Exactly. And so he didn't know what it was, but God told him not only what it was, but also what it meant. And that's that's incredible to me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's beautiful that God knows Daniel's heart and he knows that when he is brought up to interpret something he's gonna like band together with his brothers seek the lord's heart on it mm-hmm. and then give the lord the credit that's due because then at the end of the chapter it says that nebuchadnezzar praises daniel's god and promotes daniel so like it's beautiful because the lord knows that through this dream he's gonna need someone to interpret it and daniel loves interpreting dreams he's like oh that's my thing i'm gonna talk to my boys mm-hmm. we're gonna figure it out and then he always reminds people that it's the lord I feel like that's to cover his butt, but it's also to praise the Lord. It's like, hey, if I'm wrong, this is what the Lord gave me. Yeah. But it's just, it's so cool because, like, he sees the interpretation. He's like, no one else could do this for me. I wanted to kill everybody and make sure they were all gone and dead. 
but you through this this lord of yours and he's like okay i'm in on it Mm -hmm. so it's beautiful yeah it's so good and i think um so another thing i really like about the vision too is that in the vision there's this rock that like ends up crushing like basically everything else and i love that the rock like you know it basically represents like god's kingdom coming over all of the earthly kingdoms and i think that's just like really cool because like you know i said earlier my mongolian name was hada which means rock rock (laughs) (laughs) so i'm basically like peter in the new testament but anyways though but like jesus is always referred to as the rock on which we stand and so like Mm. you see in this vision that there's this picture of a rock coming that's not crafted by human hands it even says in the words of the scripture that's going to come and it's going to reign over every other um over every other kingdom and i think the other really cool thing that i noticed like as a theme in all of daniel is that it's always global like it's not just talking about god's reign in israel but like in daniel you see so many times where it's it's expanded beyond that to say like god is the god of the entire like entire world and and even like the setting of this entire book of daniel in babylon like it's not in like god's chosen place with his chosen people of israel but it's in babylon the place of captives the place of like outsiders is this place where god is making it clear like not only do i reign in like my homeland of israel but i also reign in this land of babylon and i'm also in control here too which is really cool to just see that god's not just reigning in the places like you know like there's some people on our like in our world who might say like oh yeah god like he's in charge of the churches he's in charge of like when you're like in a christian environment or whatever but like when i go to the bar like God ain't got nothing on me. I can do what I want. But it's like, actually, no, God's still in charge. And like, you're going to pay some consequences if you disobey God, even in the bar, you know? And so it's just really interesting to see that like God is, God is going to reign in the end. And there is, there is consequences to pay for our actions. And so it's just really interesting. And we see that more with Nebi, like throughout as he gets a little humbled in chapter four, but we'll get to that more later. Mm. Um, but the last thing I really wanted to mention on chapter two is just in verse 49, when Daniel does get, um, when Daniel does get promoted, like you were talking about, Dan, like he also um, requests that his friends also are able to get promoted. And I think that's like just a testament to how, you know, they interceded together and they prayed together at the beginning. And like when he gets promoted, he doesn't forget about the people who were there with him in the journey. And I think that's just like a really good example Because sometimes, like, when you're promoted, like, even in Christian circles, like, there's people that, like, get, like, on their high horse, and they're like, I'm I'm the big guy who, like, preaches now, like, I'm not going to talk to my old friends, like, I'm the dude, and it's like, no, you got to still, like, promote your old friends, you still got to uplift them, you got to remember where you came from, so, that's just a really good thing, too, that stood out to me. Yeah, that's important at any point in your life. Mm -hmm. Whenever you move from one space to another, you have to remember the people that helped get you from that one place to the next place. Yeah. It's so easy to get so wrapped up and involved with the new thing. Oh, yeah. Forget about all the old thing. Yeah. And it's so good. Like, it just, it, it's really super important to remember. It's so good. But, so let me move to chapter three. Chapter three. Which is the fiery furnace chapter. The fiery <laughs> friends, fiery furnace. The ordeal of the fiery furnace. Yeah, the ordeal, is that what your Bible calls it? Uh, that's what this summary of the Bible, the handbook oh, of the Bible. The handbook? Yeah, the handbook's it's fun. like, it's an ordeal. It's the ordeal. Yo, that's what's up. Makes me happy. Yeah, so the fiery furnace story is, again, super interesting. Um, 
in verse seven of chapter three, it kind of like continues that theme I was talking about earlier of just how um, Nebi like isn't just saying like, okay, my people need to bow to me. No, he's saying like every nationality, every language group, every race needs to bow down to me. Like he's asking people to bow down to him that aren't even like his people. He's mm-hmm. like, if you don't bow, no, even if you don't like associate with me, even if you weren't my ethnicity, you still have to bow to me. So he's, <laughs> he's like everybody, every single person. So he's, he's just like, let's just take them all. Um, and then that kind of leads to the whole situation where Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, get to this point where they, you know, they're, they're put in a hard spot where it's like, we gotta, we gotta kind of stand our ground here, but if we stand our ground, we're going to get thrown in a furnace. So <laughs> it's kind of a tough situation, you know? It's terrifying. Yeah. Trusting the Lord then is super hard. Mm-hmm. And so the main verse that always like sticks with me the most of chapter three, and this might be my favorite verse section of all of Daniel is Ooh, verse, okay. chapter three, verses 16 to 18. And it just says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And I think like the biggest takeaway from those verses for me is just the even if idea. It's just this idea of like, God, like, we're so faithful. First of all, it's faithfulness. It's just like, we're so faithful to God, we will not turn. And we're so faithful to God that even if he doesn't save us, we still know that he knows best. And like, Mm -hmm. if he wants us to die here, then we will die here for him. Because that's, that's what we're willing to, to give everything for. And that's just incredible to me. And it just... You know, it's kind of spoken in my life. Like, I have this one original worship song I wrote called Maybe It's Crazy. And it's, like, this whole song about just this idea of, like, God does crazy things. Like, he tells us to do things that sound absolutely insane. Um, And we have to be willing to do that even if there's consequences. And in this situation, like, the consequences very well could have been, like, burning alive, like, Mm -hmm. for following Jesus. And the thing is, like, there are times where... The consequences do basically cost your life. Like there are situations in the New Testament where people do die for their faith. Um, And so like the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here are willing to do that is such a good example. And it's just like, it it stirs like kind of like an uneasiness in you where it's like, you know, like should I be living a more radical faith almost? Like it, Mm. it, like it stirs you with like an excitement of like, man, like would I be willing to do that for God? Like it makes you wonder inside, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. I have those moments a lot where you read things in the Bible and you're like, oh, yeah, I could have totally done that. Why did these idiots do this thing? I would have totally done this other thing. And it's like, yeah. in the moment, it's like, no, yeah, we are just as weak and super, I don't know, we're really fleshly beings. Yeah. And we like to look out for ourselves. And it's really hard to trust the Lord. Outside of the story, it's like, oh, yeah, I could stand up and be super, super amazing and trust the Lord about it. But it's, it's really powerful. Real quick, the part that I really enjoy yeah, about this exact same passage right here, these 16 through 18, yeah. is just like the calmness, the humility yeah. of when they chose to not bow. Right. They didn't start flipping cars and lighting things on fire and stuff. It was mm-hmm. just like they simply said, no. Yeah. We're not going to bow. We won't. We trust our Lord. We know him. And they didn't make a big fuss about it. They just stood 
Yeah. And there's no yelling and screaming, no fighting. They put up no fight. They were nicely bound and picked up and carried off because of the trust for the Lord that they had. Yeah. If you don't trust the even if, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. then it's really hard to be calm about it. You'd be riled up and scared and you you get fighty and flighty when you get scared. Yo, that's so true. But it's just the beauty of like that when you really trust the Lord and something comes against you, you can calmly come against it knowing that the Lord's got your back. Yeah. And you don't have to fight it in your own human power. That's so true. And later in the story, it shows us that the human power doesn't do anything mm-hmm. compared to what the Lord can do. It's so true. And I love like... I love, like you said, that calmness that they have. Like, it's they, they have no anger. They have no, like, need to prove or defend themselves because God will do the defending. You know, like mm-hmm. that one worship song, Defender, you know? Yeah. And and he does he does the defending. And the other thing I really like, too, in that calmness is that they still, like, call him your majesty. Like, they still, like, give Nebi, good old Nebi. Good <laughs> give, old Nebi. They give him the honor. Like, and I think that's, like, that's so powerful, to, like, that they, even in, like, the fact that they can't obey this guy because he's telling them to do stuff against God, like they still honor him. And I think that's like really applicable in a situation like that's very common in like modern day Christianity, like where maybe you have a situation where maybe your parents aren't Christian or your parents aren't people who follow Jesus and they're going to tell you things that are opposed to God's will for your life. Um, But you want to still be able to honor them without... Uh, obeying them and i think like that was that's something that i really picked up on this verse too is just like shadrach meshach and abednego here they they're able to honor nebi like still like call him your majesty still say like hey like we're not gonna like speak ill of you but we are gonna stand firm on what we believe in and i think that's you know there's a temptation especially like when you have like not christian parents or you come from like a background where you have people in your life that are speaking against God. Like it's so easy to just speak ill against them too. Like, you know, cause they've been like, Oh God sucks. And then it's like, well, you suck. Like, you know, but like God's Aww. heart isn't to dishonor the person, um, that is dishonoring him, but it's to still continue to honor them, still continue to love them. And it's, it's actually kind of, kind of amazing, like how gracious God is in that way. And it's beautiful to see in this situation, just like an example of that, how we can honor people, even if we don't have to obey them. And like, even like in world leaders too, like when people are like, I don't like Trump, I don't like Biden or whatever. It's like, yes. And you can like talk crap about them all you want, but like where you're going to see change happen is when even in your disobedience, even when you can't do what they're saying, like you still honor them and you still give them just that respect in a way, you know? And Mm -hmm. so that's like, yeah, just was kind of an interesting outlook for me for sure. I totally agree. It's super, super loving of the Lord to be respectful of the people that are placed in command and authority over us. Yeah. Regardless of if we align with their beliefs or views. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that we calmly respect their authority. And as long as it doesn't directly oppose what the Lord says, what scripture says, we should go along with it. Which is crazy and really scary, but it's just like... Anything that doesn't directly oppose the Lord and it's from authority and from leadership that is directly above you is something that you should be able to, at, at some, on some level, like bring into your life somehow. Yeah, I would say, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say that. Like, I would say there's like, you don't even necessarily have to bring in any of what they say into your life, but you can still honor them without taking on. I guess kind of the agenda they're trying to push on you, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Like 
I mean, in this situation, it's a very, very clear, like, okay, this is obviously against God thing. Like, yeah, but you're right. Like sometimes with world leaders, like it's a lot, it's a lot more gray area where it's like, you might have a different conviction where you do think like what they're telling you to do is more against God. Um, and you have to be able to communicate in a way that is honoring and loving as opposed to just like rebellious and like, Oh, like I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's definitely a tricky line to tread. Um, but I do, I think they tread it so well here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just knowing how to continue to honor um, Nebuchadnezzar here while also being obedient to God's call in their lives. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it still makes Nebi pissed because he's a human. So, like, in verse 19, it talks about how after this, he's like, I'm going to turn the furnace up seven times hotter because he's like, I want you to burn now. Mm-hmm. So, like, even though they were respectful, like, that does that's the other thing is, like, sometimes we can be respectful. We can be honoring. We can be obedient to God's call on our life. And we're still going to rile up haters. We're still going to rile up people that are going to be mad about it because, like, until people have had their hearts changed themselves by God, like, they are still going to be hard-hearted they're still going to be you know they, they're still going to oppose us god never promises that we're going to have 100 percent support for following him in fact if anything he promises the opposite mm-hmm. like, that we will have to suffer. oh yeah no there will be suffering there will be trials and tribulations but take heart my friends for you've overcome the world yeah exactly and so i think that's super good um yeah, and so I just like a couple last takeaways on this chapter is in verse 22, it talks about how the flames of this furnace like even killed the soldiers who were throwing the other guys in. I love that part. Like, like I totally forgot about that. Dude, anytime anyone gives a message on it, there, I was like, and then the flames were so strong and even killed the people throwing them in. So yeah. you know it was strong. So you know it was like real. Like people actually did die. Like, but the fact that they did not die. And then you have this whole part where not only do they survive the fire, but. You know, Nebby's looking in there and he's like, why is there a fourth guy in there? And he's glowing. He's a glowing fourth guy. <laughs> and like, and to see someone glow in a bright fire. Yeah. They must be really bright. Be bright. Exactly. So that, I think that's a really cool thing. Cause that really like emphasizes the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's like, wow, if you shine bright, even in the midst of a fire. Like yeah. This. It's like this whole idea of there's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the well, no water. water in this story, but you get it. You get it. <laughs> Anyways, I love still holding back the sea. He still is. Yeah, <laughs> I still love that worship song. They played it at on Friday night at the worship night. Me and it Amber was at. so good. I love it so much. It was a controversial worship night. Yeah, but, but it's great. But that song is always good. Every no, time I love that song. So good. Yeah, the other songs are more controversial. Like. One's about being loud, but yeah, Dan loves them. <laughs> Don't worry, I listened to it as the sun was setting today, and it was very poetic. It was beautiful. <laughs> Wait, the loud one or the fire yeah, one? Yeah, the loud one. Wait, but I feel like sunsets are more quiet than loud. I had a good variety. Oh, interesting. Don't worry, I like to hit all the different... Uh, Get a little quiet, a little I need loud. all the different genres as the sunset. That so you got to really reflect the entire day and bring in the Lord's peace. Yeah, that's good. So anyways, um, just one last thing on this chapter too. So in verse 28, after everything goes down... Then we have Nebuchadnezzar say, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the kingdom's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. And then the king promoted them to higher positions. So, like, it's cool because, like, at the end, when Nebi does see the power of God, like, 
he he's very he 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 sees it like he he lets it change him and that's kind of like what the entire chapter four that we're going into next like is all about like this entire narrative of chapter four is all about nebuchadnezzar and it's kind of like his his end decree because like after after chapter four nebby's dead like the rest of the rest of daniel like he's just dead and they're moving on to the next guy already but but for this like end to nebby's reign i love it so much because it's this whole story of basically he has this vision about a tree and the tree essentially like gets torn down to just its Mm. stump like everything's gone except the stump and it's from that stump that eventually everything gets built up again but he had to be brought down to the stump before it could grow again and i think this is just like so relevant to the christian walk is that there are so many times in our walks with the lord where like god will build us up he is a god who blesses his people and he is a god who pours out those blessings but he's also a god who likes to keep things in perspective and like Mm. sometimes when we get so many blessings like it can be so easy to forget our need for god and like honestly like even this past week for me like it's kind of been hard because like I came back to America where I'm so blessed. Like America, to America it's such a blessed place. Like I love this country. Like I have friends, I have food, I have basically everything I could want. And I'm like, God, it would be so easy for me to get comfortable right now. It would be so easy for me to become a Nebby and just like get to the point where I'm just like, you know, God, I'm so satisfied. My life is great. I'm blessed. And just like forget where it all came from and to forget that like, I need him every day because it's so hard to rely on God and to remember that you need him when your life feels like it's already okay. Yeah. And so in this story, we see how, you know, Daniel eventually shares with Nebi, like, that the meaning of this dream is like, hey, like, you're going to be torn down like the tree. Like, you're going to be brought down to just the stump and just the roots. Um, but in verse 26, it says, but the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules and that's that's always what it's about it's always Mm. about that process of like i'm gonna tear you down but not for the sake of hurting you but for the sake of giving you that perspective of who's really in charge here like heaven heaven rules heaven's gonna win and yeah man so like i've been talking a while i don't know you have any thoughts on all that (sighs) dude this always just feels crazy to me yeah because all of the other dreams they just feel I don't know. They feel kind of like off on islands all by themselves. Yeah. They're they're crazy and stuff, but it's like it's very time timely and it's all about like the conflicts of the time, like it's about the Medo-Persian, Greek and Roman, Babylonian Persian, like all these different conflicts that are happening. Right. And it's history and history is really cool, but sometimes it get lost. It gets lost on me. That's so real. And for this one, it's talking about like you're talking about being taken back to the stump. This is more like a it's not historical. <laughs> it's just a very uh, humbling perspective mm-hmm. of when our like our leadership gets out of hand and it kind of rises to your head. Kind of, it kind of takes us back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. When you move from one place to another and you got to remember your friends and everything. Yeah. But it's like he was just getting way out of hand and he didn't really understand all the things that were happening and he needed to be taken down to the to the root to the stump before things could grow again. Which also reminds me of different parts of the bible where it talks about the lord likes to prune yeah so it feels like he's pruning this tree so he's literally which is really weird because you think of pruning you would take left like one branch Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the tree grows better but he takes the whole tree down yeah so that's the the tree can grow better it's crazy which is ridiculous because if you think about the amount of time it takes to grow a tree Mm -hmm. it's like 
probably 30, 40 years for like a solid tree to yeah. come up. It's, it's so a lot of true. patience Whoa. and watering and time and nutrients that gets like sucked up and vested into the tree. Yeah. And in order to have to chop the whole tree without being able to prune it to get a good tree, it's just, I feel like it's really sad. And I feel like it's really hard for the Lord to chop a really like solid and firm tree down. Yeah. Because he wants to be able to just like, you know, push it in the right direction and trim here and there and make it grow. But sometimes he has to like, we literally take down the whole tree. Yeah. Kind of like back in Genesis where he had to come and flood the earth. Yeah. And it's like, here, I literally need to restart. Only these things on this boat can survive. That's so real. But we need to more than prune. We need to like lap it off and start fresh. Sometimes it's important. Yeah. You have to like break it down to the foundation when like things have gotten out of hand and they've gotten just so far from from that foundation of what's most important so i feel that when i substitute teach sometimes really yeah it's mainly with elementary kids because they're so used to they've got the same person every day and that person's got routines elementary kids especially like k through second and third grade they all have routines especially really good teachers they have like ingrained routines that the kids are used to and keep them in order and in line without having to raise your voice or do anything special yeah there's like random phrases or just things that they see around the room that remind them what's happening at this time and in this Mm -hmm. moment and then i come in it's a whole different world because i don't have the same routines that have been in place with these kids sometimes they'll tell me about them in like their detailed notes but it's like i cannot do the same for these kids as this other person can yeah so the kids get out of control at some point usually and then like reining them back in sometimes you have to take it back down to the you have to lap it down and i gotta say all right heads down on your desks we're just gonna sit here and wait until everyone chills out oh wow so it's like usually you can correct people and just like say some words and be nice about it but once in a while like it's just far enough out of hand that you gotta give the command and have everyone just like reset yeah and that you gotta find where your reset is, where your home spot is. That's so real. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very common theme in the Bible that God will do that is He'll take things away to humble people and make them realize what's most important. And like you know, I think in two weeks we're doing Job, so that'll be like a whole whole entire podcast on that idea. So so we can probably leave it there for now. But <laughs> um, but I do want to like just touch on just at the very end when Nebuchadnezzar does come around and get to the point of um of recognizing god's goodness after like he ends up like living in the fields for seven years as like a wild animal and paying the consequences Mm -hmm. for becoming prideful um it says that after this time passed i nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven my sanity returned and i praised and worshiped the most high and honored the one who lives forever his rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him he does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? And then verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. And I really like 37 specifically because it talks about how he's able to humble the proud. And I think like sometimes when people become prideful and they lose themselves in themselves and um it's so easy to just to demonize them and i think Mm -hmm. that like it's so easy to just look at somebody and just be like oh like they're beyond redemption they're beyond hope like you know like god should just go burn them like you know and there are like sometimes in scripture where you know he does kind of just do that like with pharaoh in exodus you know we see pharaoh basically just gets wiped away 
Like he doesn't get humbled, but he just gets murdered. Like, but mm. but it's it, I like that Nebi's example here because it's an example of like even like the world leaders who seem so corrupt, who have done really really bad things. Like you see Nebi do these bad things. Like he, you know, throws these guys in a furnace, and he threatens to kill all the guys who can't interpret his dream and these things like this. But that God is able to bring somebody back from that, and He's able to bring them to a place of redeemed hope and re- like redeemed perspective and i just think that's really cool because it shows that even if you've done bad things even if you've had a places in your life where you've been prideful or you've made mistakes like nothing's beyond god's redemption and i just i really love that so. <sighs> come on <sighs> god is good man He's so good yes dude yeah so anyways we got chapter five coming up next on um, chapter five i'm gonna be honest was probably my least favorite chapter. You know about the writing on the wall? It's just super creepy to me, to be honest. But, Dan, do you have any thoughts on it off the top of your head? This one always confuses me. Yeah. I know it feels simple, but every time I read it, I feel like I I had, like, a simple, a little bit of an idea of it. Yeah. But then it always gets lost on me. So, here's a real quick summary of it. Yeah. So, Belshazzar, who is now the king... After Nebuchadnezzar. Though nothing is said of the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. It's crazy. So literally from four to five, it's like, okay, so we have a new king. And they didn't say anything about the end of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. So bye bye Nebi, but they just kind of, it's like if you have a sequel. Yeah. And then you have a different character and they just don't even address it. Right. Which is weird. Right. So that starts off being really interesting. But he makes a great feast with gold and silver vessels taken from the Temple of Jerusalem. They drink wine and praise false gods, which is not a good combination. No, that's pretty bad. <laughs> so the hand comes and writes a message on the wall. Belshazzar is troubled and wishes to have the writing read and interpreted because that's what you do when someone writes something on the wall at your party. The queen recommends Daniel. Daniel says that Belshazzar has not humbled his heart like Nebuchadnezzar. The writing says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upsarin. So God has numbered your kingdom. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And your kingdom is to be given to the Medes and the Persians. And Belshazzar honors Daniel. But that night he is slain and the kingdom falls to Darius the Mede. So like a lot happens in this chapter. Yeah, it's a very, very, very meaty chapter. So I feel like it's very transitional in, transitional in nature. Yeah, it moves you from Nebi's reign to Darius's reign through this king who... You know, with Nebi and Darius, you see redemption for both of them in the book, but you never see redemption for this guy. Like, he basically just is super prideful, gets drunk, uh, worships a bunch of false gods, and then immediately dies after Daniel interprets the writing. And so he doesn't really have that hope at the end of his story. Yeah, I never thought about that, but that's <laughs> I think that's why this chapter always gets lost on me. Yeah. Because no one else knows about Belshazzar, because he just gets kind of chucked in here out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's like, you got the whole, like you were saying, you got the whole redemption uh arc of nebi coming through and like okay yeah mm, yeah <laughs> and then darius comes through and you like you see things happen with him more and more and more and like king darius darius people know about darius yeah belshazzar is like lost to time and he has this one story and we didn't even bring up this story out of the main three things in the book of daniel right exactly this is like if you had to put a fourth thing on the list i'd say that writing on the wall is the fourth one because it's got like it's a story. Like right. You could talk about yeah, yeah it's there's a story, story on the wall. Right, exactly. But yeah, literally it was just the fact that it's crazy because this hand writes a message on the wall. Yep. And do you know anything about how that works? Is Was this the Lord? I think... Literally... 
I think it was essentially like, I mean, it says like it was just like a human hand just writing on a wall. And then like, it was just a language no one could understand. And so Daniel ends up, you know, reading it off and, you know, it ends up saying like these three words, mene, tekel, and parzin, which mean numbered, weighed, and divided, which basically are just all prophetic words over this guy's arranged that his days are numbered and that, you know, that things are not measuring up in your life and your kingdom's going to be divided and all this stuff. And so it's basically like all these words of death over this guy's reign for being rebellious and for being, you know, an idol worshiper. Um, I think what's interesting to me too, though, is that even though Belshazzar was about to get condemned and murdered and like the whole word was about him basically like having a horrible future, like he still promotes Daniel, like right before he gets late, before he dies that night. Like, that's so interesting to me that in verse 29, like right after Daniel tells him the meaning of, of all of this, like he's like, okay, like uh, I'm going to dress you in robes and give you mm -hmm. a gold chain and make you the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that night he gets killed. So it's super interesting that even though his days were numbered, like God still used him to promote Daniel in the midst of his rebellion. So that's really interesting to me. Like God just very clearly gave Daniel favor in this situation where you know, like, you even see that he doesn't even necessarily, like, want to, like, share these words with this guy, like, because, like, you know, it's... He says, bro, every time someone's called me out and I come and share the words, they get ticked off. <laughs> and then in the in the handbook even says, Daniel, now an old man is summoned to interpret. Yeah. <laughs> so he just goes straight to the root. He's like, I'm just going to give you the root meanings, man. Here you go. This is plain and simple. What it says. Do right. that as you will. And then he dies. <laughs> it's so crazy it's also crazy that like this is all as he's older now like we're at the point like nebby's reign was like daniel's childhood kind of like you know he's still like a teenager tw young 20s young adult age mm -hmm. but now we're like in the point where like daniel's an adult like doing this stuff and we're about to hit lion's den and again like again like it's so weird to me that daniel's an adult when he's throwing the lion's den because you always like when you see the st stories in sunday school like he's always like they always make him look relatable to, like, you know, young kids. Yeah, yeah, but he's, like, a grown man. He's actually, like, probably, like, 80 or something. Yeah, he's super <laughs> Or maybe not 80, but, like, 60 at least, you know? And so it's super crazy that all this is about to go down. But, yeah, man. Anything else you want to hit from Chapter 5? Or should we should yeah. we just dive into the big one? The one that, you know, that everybody knows. Oh, everyone loves 6. But real quick, so this handbook talks about uh, Nabonidus. Nabonidus. was actually the ruler in between Nebi and Belshazzar. Oh, and was he, he not the he, ruler? So Nabonidus retired to Arabia earlier, uh, retired to Arabia early in his reign, leaving his son, Belshazzar, acting king. So oh. he, literally there was this king, and he left his son as acting king, and like any PK would know, it's just like complete rebellion. Oh gosh. So basically it looks like they had a good ruler, Nabonidus, and he had no dreams basically. And so there was no reason for Daniel to get called in. Yeah. Nothing crazy happened. He just retired and his son became acting ruler because he dipped. Oh. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, here I've got a kingdom. I have all this money. I'm going to throw this party. Bring out Dang. the gold, the silver, and the ladies. Bro, I did not know that this was just like a rebellious son story. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. To bring out the gold, right silver, away. and ladies. Yeah, that's not great. I'm sorry, dude. You you really messed up. Whew, that's crazy to me. 
Did the other guy ever come back, or like after that, his son died, he just was like done. No, he's just done. So it was it was twenty three years between Nebby's death, and then this dude comes in, and okay. then like the next year, this guy. All right, so now he moves to Darius, and I feel like Darius feels like he's actually like like when you read Daniel six, like one thing I didn't remember is Darius is like a super good guy. Like, did you did you get that reading? Oh yeah, no, Darius is really cool. Yeah, I like Darius. Like. I mean, I just, I know the story because like yeah. you read it and then he's, he's up like, just like, bro, I yeah. feel for this guy. And he was not eating food. He was like fasting and more. Right. Like, he's fasting for Daniel. Darius like, is really cool. And really the thing I like totally forgot about this story is that like, you know, basically Darius wasn't like trying to get Daniel thrown in the lion's den. It was all like the, it was the trickery. It was all the jealous guys. Yeah. Who were, they like, came up and said, sign this thing. Yeah. They were all like, Daniel's like, we want to be where Daniel is. Like they all wanted Daniel's job and they wanted to like be the, you know, the main dream interpreter or like government person. Like they, they all wanted Daniel's job. And so they're basically like, Hey, like let's find out a way that we can get Daniel like murdered basically. <laughs> and so it's really interesting to me how, that part of the story, like, for me, was just totally lost in my mind. I don't know if it's, like, commonly remembered or if I just, like, completely, like, blocked it out for some reason. Like, I feel like the only thing I remember about this story is, like, oh, there's lions, and he survived. <laughs> like, but, like, there's so much more depth to it in, in all in all. So just to kind of basically give the idea of it is... Wait, do you want to have your mind blown real quick before you go through this? Oh, yeah, I do it, dude. Okay, so, uh, so for Darius... No other historical record so far found mentions uh, of this name. Really? Or places any ruler between Nabonidus and Belshazzar and Cyrus. So Darius is variously identified. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can write off Darius as a fictional character, but because Cyrus was so well known, the author could hardly have hoped to get away with such an invention. Hmm. Uh, they say that perhaps this is another name for Cyrus, who had mixed ancestry and you can just call him Cyrus the Persian. So Darius isn't even really Darius because he's not like in all he's not in any other historical fiction writings. So for some reason he decided to write him off as Cyrus, but I feel like he just liked the name Darius and he wanted to impose it in here huh. as just making it interesting. That's yeah, so interesting, yeah. I know. But yeah, now chapter six. Yeah. Dive dude. in. Yeah, so basically like the whole storyline here is that Darius um, like has faithful as like a, a pretty strong advisor. He's faithful. He's doing good stuff. Um, but then these advisors, they basically impose this or they like suggest to Darius. They're like, Hey, like, don't you think it would be a good idea if we like, you know, threw everyone who doesn't pray to you into the lion's den. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> sure. he's like, uh, I guess like, you know, he just kind of like, I feel like Darius is just kind of like a naive guy. Who's just like, Oh yeah. He's just like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds, that sounds all right. But then like, but then he doesn't realize what they're trying to do to him. And then, so then he gets totally manipulated and then they're like, Oh, by the way, your favorite guy, Daniel, <laughs> he did this. And then he's like, oh, well, I wasn't trying to hurt him. And he's like, well, too bad. Now you signed the paperwork. And it's like, it's like one of those like cartoons where they're like, you signed the contract and now you're stuck. Like, you know, and mm. so it's one of those situations. And now he's like, oh, darn. Well now, and like, it even says that, you know, he takes a couple days and like in verse 14, it says, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. You know, he's trying his best. He's like, he's like, I didn't mean to do this. I really didn't want to hurt my friend. 
But now it's like, oh, it's on the paper. He's going to die. Yeah, <laughs> so, he really feels for his 80-year-old buddy. Yeah, it's like super rough. It's super duper rough. And so eventually he's just like, okay, I guess we got to do this. But even as he's throwing him in the lines, then he's like, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you and protect you. And like, Yeah, yeah. so even in that moment, he doesn't acknowledge yeah. that he believes in the Lord, but he's just mm-hmm. saying, hey, I know you and I trust you as a yeah, man. Exactly. I really hope this God you believe in protects you and keeps you. Yep. So really quick random fact, uh, most probably that den or lion's pit had an open top around which uh, was a spectator's gallery and a small entrance at the side, which Darius sealed up. Yeah. So people could like come and spectate and see the person in the pit with the lions. It was like, oh, really? Like something for people to come watch. That's so interesting. So I feel like part of it would be to kind of like, you don't, you don't know Star Wars very well, but Jabba the Hutt has this one like. He's got, it's called a Rancor, and he has this big beast living in the basement of his palace, and mm-hmm. people come and talk in front of him, and they stand on these big, like, like open and close, like, sliding trap door thing, basically, uh-huh. and if he doesn't like what they're saying, he clicks a button, and, like, it drops him down, and then this beast comes and gets him, Dang. and, like, people can come and, like, watch. I feel like it's a way of keeping people in line. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you disobeyed the king. Here, come watch this, pressing effect to the lions. Anyone who does this, does gets that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so crazy, man. Like, wow. Yeah, so it was like almost like an example that they were trying to set. Which is really sad because the king likes this guy. He's like, I'm not trying to make an example of you. But maybe if your lord that you love comes and saves you, it'll make a cool example of him. Yeah, that's true. And And it did. And it totally does. And, And the other thing that's cool is like the king goes back to the palace. And like you said, he was fasting. Like, in my Bible, it says he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Like, you know, it's basically, like, an example of, like, an entertainment fast, like, you know, like, in the Bible. Like, I didn't realize that was a thing. Like, most of the time when you think of biblical fast, you're like, oh, just the food, water, like we see in the first chapter with Daniel. Like, you know, Darius is basically like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch TV, whatever TV of of back in five, 500 bc was like, he was like i'm not gonna entertain myself wow uh, and he couldn't sleep like because he was just so troubled and he was so like wanting to see daniel succeed and then he gets the next morning and he says like daniel servant of the living god was your god whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions and and daniel's doing completely fine and you know he's he's completely unharmed by these lions and it's beautiful to see, like, not even a scratch was found on him, for he trusted in God. And and then the other thing I think is really funny is in verse 24, it says, Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Mm. And the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they hit the floor. <laughs> wow. And I, like, that part I forget about, too. But then I was, like, I remember when I was reading this and I, like, noticed, like, how the government guys were, like, the big problem. I was, like, so happy. I was, like, in my bedroom, like, rejoicing. I was, like, yeah, kill him. Get him. (laughs) Like, normally... they're the ones that cause this whole issue. Normally, I'm not so happy for, like, bad guys to die. But I was, like, I was, like, this is... You guys deserve this. Like, Daniel was just being a good guy. And you guys were just trying to ruin his life. And so, like, yeah. I'm I'm really glad that happened. (laughs) I, I know it's, like, a weird thing to celebrate. But I feel like sometimes justice needs to be served. You know? That was one of those moments. I felt like it needed to be served. Um, and then, like, we get to the point in the end, or, like, as you said, like, before this point, like, Darius doesn't necessarily call God his God at that point, but at the end, 
when he gives this decree, he says, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so, yeah, right there, we just kind of close out with just like this big declaration from the king of basically like, hey, like, this is the real thing. Like, this is the real God. He's the living God. Like, he's going to rule forever and his kingdom will never be destroyed. It kind of just like brings together the themes of all six of these like narrative stories that we get. And Daniel, as we like transition to the more like visionary futuristic stuff. And and, it, and as you were saying earlier, like I totally agree that like some of the visionary futuristic stuff, like it's super good, but like it all is like super like historical contexty. So it's like harder to understand. And I like you were saying about chapter four earlier. I really love chapter four because it's like that one is so easy to just like to, to relate to because of like the idea of being torn down and like being built back up again by God. Um, but yeah, all that to say like this kind of like puts the tail end on like the story part of Daniel and moves us into the the part where it's more about these visions and these mm. things that you do read you do really need a lot more context to understand and I don't really have a lot of context Dan to be honest like I just read it but you said the future stuff was like your specialty so it's super cool I'm I really like interested to know like your thoughts on chapter 7 through 12 and like I'll, I'll give my thoughts as we go I also am lost most of the time as yes. I read 7 through 12. Yeah. But I I think they're really interesting. And when you read different study guides and different things on it, it's like, oh, basically it just tells you. I don't know. I like having to actually know because it's just like it's super vague. Yeah. When you read it, it sounds really vague. It's like the king of the east, the king of the north. Right. And the study guide's like, okay, so we looked it up and basically... It's like the Persians, the Greeks, the Medes, and they're having this conflict. And it kind of, it's cool because it talks about these different conflicts. Yeah, and they're all interesting, but they're all really hard to understand for us now. Because, like, again, this was written in 500 BC, and we're, like, you know, 2,500 years in the future. And so we have, like, a lot harder of a time doing the historical understanding. But there's still some really good stuff to glean from these chapters. Um, so chapter 7 really is, like, probably the most famous of the visions in Daniel. Where you have like, you know, the four beasts and you have the the giant horn that starts boasting and all this craziness. Um, and you get this picture of, um, of this guy on the throne in verse 9. It talks about how I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And that was really cool for me to read because there's like that one worship song, Jesus, You're Beautiful, that says like... I know, I love it. That's that's yeah. why I, I really love Seven, just because of that yeah. part right there. Yeah, I never realized that came Jesus, from Seven. And this is really interesting too because like I was reading, or I was even watching Bible Project and they were talking about how a lot of the end of Daniel alludes to stuff in Revelation because they're both mm -hmm. very, very similar books like that speak a lot about the future, a lot about Jesus and a lot about prophecy. And the other thing that the Bible Project mentioned, too, is that a lot of these prophecies, they can have very different interpretations. Like, some people interpret it as stuff that already happened in the past. Some of it's, like, interpreted as stuff that's happening right now. And some people interpret things that are still to come. And so, it's, like, it's so interesting. But I think with this particular situation, it's very, like, clearly agreed upon that 
you know, the ancient one judging is, is Jesus. And it's so interesting. Um, yeah. And then in verse 13, it says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds. And Jesus is always calling mm. himself the son of man. Yeah. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over the nations of the world so that people of every race and every nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And this kind of goes along with that rock from chapter two. Like God is the rock that's going to stand. It's the kingdom that will never end. Mm. And you get that that nation's imagery where it's not just about Israel, but it's about every nation, every kingdom in the world, like bowing underneath and being like being obedient to his rule. So it's really cool to me how chapter seven, just like again, gives another vision that gives this picture of, you know, Jesus coming and ruling eternally. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. So to dive into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Daniel's vision, it's the first year of Belshazzar's reign. So, you know, good old Belshazzar. Yes. So four beasts come from the sea. The first one is the Babylonian Empire. It's like a lion with eagle's wings, which I think that metaphor is really interesting. Because yeah. Because what, what, what do you think of when you think of a lion? Um, Roar? Yeah. <laughs> like the lion, fierceness. Lion is fierce. Lion has, it's like, it's very majestic. Yeah. So the lion and the eagle are both very majestic creatures. So the fact that it's a lion that can fly is like soup. It's like extra powerful. Mm-hmm. So Babylonian is basically saying that like it has this this kingliness to it, but also the ability to glide and fly. But then yeah. its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So it took it took the the Babylonian Empire. From this, like, high, like, a lion and the Lord are usually really related together. And same with the eagle. But it, yeah. basically it says it took off the wings, so the eagle's gone. And it transformed from a lion and made it stand like a man. So it was taking such a powerful empire and making it very vulnerable, like mm-hmm. we are as humans. Yeah. So the second beast is the Medes Empire. It's a bear with three ribs between its teeth. It's commanded to devour much flesh. So the Medes basically are just, they come in and the whole point for them is that they're there to like tear stuff up. Okay. Like the picture has, it's already like, it's in the process of devouring. Yeah. So you got Babylon who is having all of its power plucked and becoming very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And then the Medes, which is very devouring. And like, it's going to, if they have a fight, like the Medes are just going to destroy Babylon in, in this moment because they are becoming weak. Yeah. And... The third beast, which is the Greek Empire, is a leopard with four heads and four birds' wings on its back. Mm-hmm. So it's given dominion because it's got dominion because with the four heads, it can see all things and know it, it, just the idea that it, you can see things happening and be able to fly and move around. So that gives it the power of dominion. Like, okay, we mm-hmm. respect this creature. We respect the Greek Empire because they have, they got the leg work, they have the heads, they have more minds coming together. Yeah. And then the, the fourth beast is the Greek Empire with its iron teeth and ten horns, which are then replaced by a single conspicuous horn, which is where blah, 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 blah. You have the king coming, and then the Lord's kingdom comes, and the ten horns represent the ten kings, which are succeeded by another who shall subdue three kings before being defeated by the Most High. So it's talking about like how earthly kingdoms have their kings, mm-hmm. and then they're going to fight a bunch, and then in the end... 
the Most High King of All Kings comes and defeats them. Yeah. So then, as traditional fashion, the Lord defeats his enemies. As the beginning of Daniel, the main thrust of the book is that God, the God of Israel, a sovereign ruler of the world, the world including Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, and the Greeks. And for his people, this means that total loyalty to him, no matter how powerful the opposing forces, including these different nations, these beasts who can fly and are fierce and are being transformed and moved from kingdoms to nations, God will in due time defeat them all. So, so good. just it's cool looking through it and knowing that there's different various powers here and that through it all, if you trust the Lord and you know that he's going to have the victory... You can have, like, sound mind and sound judgment through this whole process. Yeah. That's so true, dude. So good. Yeah. Man, that's so cool, like, knowing the background of it all. Like, I honestly don't know most of that, so it's good to get that perspective. Yes, sir. Yeah. And I guess just, like, one last verse on that chapter is just verse 27. It says, And the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. Mm. This kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. Um, and this is kind of more from Daniel's interpretation of it all. Um, and I love that it just kind of ends with this piece of that, you know, God's people are going to rule forever, and his kingdom will never end. So, Good, good word. All right, let's move to chapter 8. So chapter 8... Um, there's another vision, and I think what's interesting is, like, in verse 27, like, you have Daniel, and it says, Then I, Daniel, was overcome mm-hmm. and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but yep. was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. So it's so interesting, because, like, he has, like, Gabriel, the angel, appear to him and explain to him the vision. And then after, even after he gets this whole vision explained to him, like, he's still gets sick and he gets like stressed out for like yeah through the explanation he's like oh this is ridiculous and this is terrifying and i need to just like sleep this off man this is yeah. crazy and like i just wrote down that like it's it's really interesting that like, daniel's so confused even after a literal angel comes and like explains it to him it shows that like sometimes like even when we're god's devout follower followers like and even like when he does something like as direct as like have an angel like explain to you like the situation like you can still be troubled and like this is where i like really start to relate to daniel a lot is like in these chapters as he's getting these crazy radical divine revelations from god but you see that he's just so humble about it and like the whole time every time he gets a new vision he's just like he's just like wrecked he's just like overwhelmed by the glory and he's overwhelmed by the the magnitude of these truths of God's awe and wonder and how he's going to tear down empires and how he's going to tear down people mm. and how he's just going to make his kingdom reign. And it, it's like a, it's an overwhelming thing to grasp. And it, it gives us almost permission as God's followers to have that reaction to God. Because I think that like sometimes, you know, especially like in a world that like makes it enjoys making God seem safe, you know, and like and like to picture him as like a safe place to go to. Um, but like this reaction to God is another appropriate reaction to who he is. I'm just like awe and wonder and just like, oh my gosh, just like, just like, oh my, like just overwhelming bewilderment almost just like by how crazy he is 
And I think that, like, a lot of these visions, they stir that in me specifically. Um, like, mm. this one, I don't really understand all that much. and I'm, But it's cool because, like, it says, like, even Daniel doesn't understand some of these visions that he's getting. And I think there's, like, a permission that God gives us with apocalyptic scripture to have that amount of wonder and that amount of, like, we don't understand, but it's okay mm-hmm. because we can we can have peace in knowing him. And like, even when we don't have peace, even when we're troubled by the things we don't understand, like he's still got our backs. And so it's super crazy, but I don't have a whole lot on chapter eight's vision specifically other than just Daniel's reaction to it. But Dan, do you have any deep radical information about this one? Bro, chapter eight is the ram and the he goat. Yes. Like that's super intense. Yes. So interesting fact uh, at this point, the text reverts from Aramaic to Hebrew. Oh, yeah. So it's like they're using a different language for this. So it shows that either it's like a slightly different time period or the, hmm. the idea of it, like it's just, it, it shifts tones. Yeah. So it's interesting because between seven and eight, you would think it'd be like, oh, this is like the same old, same old, more prophetic being right. right here. But it's like, okay. So they show that there's a shift. Yeah. Because it changes. And. I think seven was just in Aramaic, and one through six were also in Hebrew. So I think like no, actually, when I was watching Bible Project, they said that two to seven are all in Aramaic or Hebrew. Which one? Hebrew. Okay, so yeah, so two to seven are the same, and then one and eight to twelve are the same. So it's like super bizarre how that breakdown was. Yeah, I was really confused when I saw that on Bible Project, but but it's almost like chapter seven in a lot of ways is like an end to like the narrative for that particular people group. And you can see that in like how chapter seven ends with so many words of just like God's kingdom will reign forever. And so like, it's almost like this, these, these future, these other visions may have even been written to a different people for a different time. And so that's really interesting. But I will say that in chapter eight, uh, when they refer to the end specifically in verse seven, uh, Mm -hmm. verse 17, yeah. The end usually refers to the winding up of history and God's final judgment. But in verse 26, it relates the vision to the distant future and in 19 to the period when the suffering will be over. So the Bible writers often seem to step clear of time and view contemporary and future events as one aspect of the total final events of the end. So I think it's interesting that when they're talking about something in the future, they can be talking about something that's like, in the very near future, and then in the very end of the world, all in one passage, and even in verses before each other. Like, it's not necessarily always in chronological order when you're reading it. Yeah. Sometimes it's more poetic, and the way it flows is intentional. That's so true. Yeah. The Bible's written so differently than books today, so it definitely, like, requires a different perspective to see what the writers are getting at. so interesting. Yeah, so it's interesting because this is about Alexander the Great, and people know about him from history. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that the second vision here, the ram and the he-goat, it focuses on the second and third empires. It's the two-horned ram, which symbolizes Medo-Persia, and it's superseded by the swift-footed goat, Alexander's Greek empire. Mm-hmm. So Alexander himself is the great horn, so Alexander is the horn. The four horns are the kingdoms into which his empire was divided. So he takes the one big horn and divides his kingdom into four other empires. The little horn in this chapter refers to Antiochus IV, who ruled Syria in 175 to 164 BC. Mm -hmm. And then verses 9 to 14 depict the atrocities of his reign. So in chapter 11, you get to see more of the atrocities, 
which resulted in the Jewish Maccabean Revolt. So this brings us into First Maccabees, which is in the Deuteronomical books. Yeah, and the it's Apocrypha. Something, yeah, it's part of the Apocrypha. <laughs> so we'll get to that at some point whenever we talk, talk about, about the Apocrypha for fun. For fun. <laughs> but yeah, so it's really crazy that uh, one of the four uh, empires that Alexander split into ends up starting the Maccabean Revolt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super interesting. So crazy. Yeah, so the horn ends up taking away daily sacrifices and casts down the place of God's sanctuary. So in the process of like his transition from his his reign and leadership into the four divisions, like the different divisions ended up some of them were taking away like the Lord's rule over things. So they stopped doing sacrifices. Yeah. They stopped honoring the Lord and they would take down God's sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So it took twenty three hundred days before the sanctuary was cleansed after that. Interesting. Gabriel explains to Daniel that the vision refers to the time of the end. Further interpretation is given. The two horns are the kings of Mede and Persia. Mm -hmm. The male goat is the Greek empire. So Antiochus' horn will destroy many and then be destroyed without human means. The vision refers to many days in the future. And Daniel responds to the vision with fainting and sickness like you talked about. But I think it's really crazy that the horn comes and destroys many and many are destroyed without human means. Yeah. So literally just like jumps in and says, hey, the humans aren't going to be doing this. It's going to be spiritual forces and it's going to be the Lord who comes in through the meaning of Daniel and brings an end to all people and all places. It's simple. No matter how powerful the opposing force is, God will in due time defeat them all. <laughs> yes, bringing it back to the message. That's good. That is that is a really important reminder, yeah. That in due time, God will defeat them all. Yeah. So is Alexander the Great, was he before Jesus or after Jesus? That's a good question. Yeah. Something I don't really know. But, okay, while you look that up, I guess we can kind of move a little forward to chapter 9 there. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so chapter 9 is just like a really big chapter of prayer from Daniel. We see a lot of prayer as he's just kind of speaking to God. And he's really coming humbly uh, humbly to God. And this kind of sets up chapter 10, which we talked about a lot earlier. It's just Daniel's just being very humble. He's coming. And he, in verse 14, even says, Therefore the Lord has brought upon the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things for we did not obey him. And I think that's like so important because I think sometimes when we suffer, especially in America, there's like this entitlement mindset where it's like, oh my God, like, why are you doing this to me? And like in this particular verse, like Daniel's basically saying like, no, like God, you were totally right to make us suffer. Like we didn't obey you. We've been disobedient. We deserve suffering. Um, But then... In verse 18, he says, Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see my despair. See how our city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve your help, but because of your mercy and your character. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay, God. For your people and your city, they bear your name. And it's just like a really humble prayer from this place of, No, I don't deserve it, God. But like because of your character, because of your kindness, because of your mercy, because we're made in your image and we are your people, God, please help us. Not for anything we've done to deserve it, but because of who you are. 
And it's just a beautiful thing to see that kind of humility from, um, from a leader in this time. And as somebody who's like received so much from God, like that Daniel still isn't letting it get to a place of where he's becoming prideful is so beautiful to see. Um, but yeah, Dan, do you have any, um, did you find out about Alexander? Yeah, dude, Jesus was born more than 300 years after Alexander died. Okay, gotcha. So Alexander was like, so when this was written, that was kind of like the immediate meaning of the prophecy. Mm-hmm. And then like, then there's still like debates about like, if there's like a, a secondary meaning to it, like for the future. That's interesting. Very interesting. Very cool. And it's cool that like, we can see that like it actually unfolded too, because that's like something that really helps to give a lot of the Old Testament its credibility and history is like you can look back at these visions and you can see the exact times and dates and situations where it lines up in such a way that you can know that it wasn't just like you know daniel like randomly babbling about some random dream he had you know like Mm -hmm. but there's like there's already evidence that it came true in one context and it might still have a secondary fulfillment you know there's there's we see that in a lot of different prophetic scripture especially like Stuff in Isaiah, there's times where Isaiah is talking about Jesus in the future, but he's also talking about more uh, immediate happenings with Israel. And um, and uh, those double fulfillments of prophecy are super cool to see. And that's like what a lot of people with Daniel, they find those kind of connections and those possibilities of how things could still be unfolding again moving forward. But yeah, Dan, do you have any more thoughts on nine? Yeah, I just think it's really cool how Daniel yeah. gets visited by Gabriel in the midst of all of this. Yeah. So yeah, Daniel's fasting and praying, classic Daniel fashion. Confessing the sins of his people, classic Daniel fashion as well. He's like, okay, I'm going to concede. Because Daniel always consistently prays, mm-hmm. even when he's going to get thrown in the lion's den. Yeah. And he fasts even when it means that he might not have uh, the strength that other people have. But mm-hmm. in, the, in the end, the Lord provides and prevails. So the curses from the law of Moses have come to pass at this point that we find out about in Deuteronomy, which we haven't got to yet in our yeah, summaries. True. But uh, those curses have come to pass at this point. Yes. And Daniel asks that God forgive and restore Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is really highly contested and it's super important in the narrative of everything. Yeah. So Daniel's visited as he's praying, which is really cool. And I wish I had been, I don't, I don't know, I'd like to be visited by Gabriel while I'm praying. Yes. Gabriel, if you hear me, which you do, um while i'm praying if you want to visit me that'd be super cool (laughs) although whenever an angel visits you it's usually like you know five minutes or less of whoa this is amazing yeah and 50 years of i'm living out what he told me i would be doing and i don't feel it anymore (laughs) but i need to keep doing this because an angel came and told me to do it yeah that's so interesting right so interesting yeah the holy anointed one comes the Messiah is cut off, but for the sake of others, not for the sake of himself, mm-hmm. which is sad. We love the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the people in their waiting end up just being destructive. Mm. There is even a flood and desolation. And the coming prince will make a covenant with Israel for the final unit of seven years. Completing the 70 weeks prophesied for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. The covenant will be broken in the middle of this final seven-year period. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate until the consummation is determined. 
So yeah, the abomination so of desolation is super intense and really crazy. And we talked about like, this is this is the one you were saying like the guy was like, oh, this is this is the one you're. The teacher Bible guy was super into you. That he was like, it might be about the Antichrist. <laughs> right? Yeah, dude. Chapter 9. This is it. Yeah, this chapter 9. Yeah, yeah. That, what's verse 26 say? Uh, it says, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. So, yeah, that sounds basically like the tribulation. Yeah, it's super like, intense. He, he reads that and he says, is this Jesus or is this the Antichrist? Because either of them could come in and fulfill what it's saying here. Yeah. So he didn't have an opinion on it because he hadn't read into it enough. Right. It's one of those things where you really don't know. Like, there are those mysteries and, like, you can see why Daniel, like, is getting these visions and it says, like, he's getting sick and he's, like, you know, he's super troubled because, like, it's super intense stuff where it's, like, you know, even this master of dream interpretation can't fully understand it. But it's really cool that he wrote it down and, like, gives us just this glimpse into to what might be, you know, or what will be in due time, you know. It's so crazy. Yeah, so some people on the internet think that, abom- well, they talk about how abomination is usually, it's a great sin commonly worthy of death. Right. So then they list off a bunch of different, like, really horrible sins, like homosexuality and bestiality and all of these other things that are defiling of the body the temple yeah mainly and that's gonna rise up and yeah there's a lot of i don't know everyone has different opinions on it different i forget opinions, what i have talked about they have like a, a resolute like yeah we think this is done it was crazy we would ask so many ridiculous biblical questions and get a lot of different answers and there's like these people know their word yeah i did not internalize a lot of what we learned right but it was really cool and i was like yeah okay so there's a person who knows uh-huh. so i just like knowing that there's people out there who do the research yeah and like they have an idea no one really knows but they have an idea about it yeah and it's interesting not... to come up with theories it's yeah. beautiful that god doesn't expect us to know it all though like because praise the lamb like if i was like like if this was like a prerequisite for getting into heaven of like can you tell me what the abomination desolation it's like i would be i would be really done i would have no hope and so praise god that he just like he has grace and like you know there's no expectation for every christian to understand this deeply but it's here for people that like really enjoy the scholarly side of scripture and you know i can still rejoice over my favorite little fiery furnace story <laughs> you know <laughs> even though there's also this content too yeah bro um, i found this really cool picture mm-hmm. of what the abomination of desolation could look like yo and it would make a very interesting thumbnail <laughs> oh, okay this should this be our thumbnail <laughs> it might be all right we might we it's might ridiculous. edit this thumbnail it might be pretty epic it's a picture of a tyrannus it's like a it's it's like a t- triceratops and a bear and a bunch of cheetahs and a lion dude that's our thumbnail we'll like we'll like use that and then we'll like pin a picture of like us in the corner and then like the word daniel so yes it'll be great this is such a beautiful thumbnail i'm excited we're making it we're making that thumbnail all right sweet i'm totally good on this chapter all right chapter nine crazy chapter 10 we opened with 10 so i don't know that we need to do too much more with it um dan anything you really want to press on with chapter 10 that we haven't already hit It's, like, such a good chapter. It really is. 
Um, but it does cover a lot of the same themes we've already touched on. And... It's true. We did definitely hit it. All right. Then let's, let's, we can breeze over 11. For me, 11 is the chapter I understood the least because I feel like it's the one that requires the most historical context. Like basically from verse 1 to verse 45, it's all just like this very elaborate vision of the king of the north and the south that I literally did not understand a single thing of what it meant when I read through it because like there's not even like a break for Daniel to say anything like it's just it's just a straight up prophecy which is good like I'm sure it's like it means something deep that either happened already or is still gonna happen um Dan do you have any insight into what it was that it was about or what it was specifically that what it was that's in chapter 11 yeah because honestly, like, it was probably the one I had the least understanding or, like, take away from on my reading. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I got through, I think I got through, like, 10 with, like, really good understanding. Yeah. And then 11 and 12, I slowly read through over the course of a bunch of subbing, and I was very confused. Yeah. 11, 11's tough. Like, um, I did, like, write down one verse here. It's probably completely wrong, but there's, like, this one verse, verse 30, it says... Warships from the western coastlands will scare him off. And I was like, oh, America, that's the west. So I was like, maybe that's about America. But it probably isn't. But that was the only thing I wrote down. I just wrote, overall, this chapter is super abstract and difficult to interpret, so I'll leave it here. (laughs) So um, definitely recommend consulting commentary on that one, because don't have a whole lot to say. But I do have some verses in chapter 12 that I actually really enjoyed. Um specifically so the the whole heading of chapter 12 in my bible just says the time of the end and you can see like a bunch of references to this like throughout chapters 7 to 12 is just so many times it talks about the time of the end which is just such a vague phrase that you can't really ever put your finger on what exactly it means but um but the verses of it that really stood out to me are, are 12 3 it says those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. I just really love that verse because it speaks to how when we are living to live or to lead people to righteousness, then there's like this promise that those who do lead people to righteousness and those who are living with wisdom are going to shine like stars. And like one of my worship songs I wrote, like there's this one lyric where I sing like, we are shining stars or whatever. And so yes. like it just like it just like connects with me because it reminds me of that. And then the other thing is verse eight, it says... Um, and this is just after, again, like after Michael's done saying everything to Daniel, um, then Daniel, it just says, I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end my Lord? And like, you know, I just like got peace from, again, it's saying in verse eight, like he didn't understand anything. And I'm like, you know, sometimes like you just don't understand. Yeah. You get through the whole thing. You're like, and I, like just, I don't get and it. And that's okay. Like, I think that like, you know, like there's a reason the Bible talks about peace that passes understanding because ultimately... God would rather us have peace than understanding. Like he didn't, there's a reason why he told Adam and Eve to not eat from the knowledge of good and evil. Cause it's like, we maybe weren't even made to know about good and evil. Like more so we were just made to live in peace with God and understanding is not a bad thing, but there's a peace that passes understanding and understanding is given through walking with God over time. It's not always even given like through divine revelation here like daniel gets all these divine revelations all these visions but even daniel like even the interpretations that we can totally see like how it related to alexander the great now like 
Like, Daniel, when he got this vision, isn't like, oh, there's going to be a guy named Alexander the Great. He's just like, I have this vision and I feel like I'm supposed to write it down. Like, you know, and sometimes like in my life, like there's been times where God's given me a vision and I've written it down. And like, there's part of me that wants to interpret it and wants to know the meaning like today, but it might not, I might not know a meaning for it for like 10 years or 15 no, years, always, 25 years. You always put a meaning to these things and then it changes. Exactly. I've like, been in the midst of so many, like, I had this vision, bro. And I thought and this it is meant what this. It means. And I thought it and meant this. And then, like, this. a week later, you're like, no, 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 it's totally this. Yeah, but you gotta... And years later, you're like, oh, it's this other thing. You gotta try, you gotta see what you think it means, and then maybe eventually it'll all make sense in the end. And I've seen this happen, and I've seen it make sense in some of my visions, and there's some visions I still have that are open, and I don't know what they mean. But God has shown me how to have peace with that, and how to have peace without understanding and how to hold on to things, write them down. I think that's so important when you do have visions from God, just to write them down, to hold on to them, and just to wait on his timing to reveal exactly what they do mean. Um, and it says the time of the end. Like, this is what this is all about. Like, hold on to everything God gives you till that time of the end. And um, and in the end, God will reign. Like, you know, in verse se- or chapter 7, it's all about that concept of, like, in the end, God's going to reign. So we can have peace in that even if we don't understand the whole journey to getting to God's reign, like mm. um, that we can rest in knowing that that's the end destination everything's going towards. So, yeah. Yeah. 12 is beautiful. I think 12 is really cool. 12 is all about deliverance. Yeah. So uh, both of these, both of these resources are really cool. So I'm just going to, yeah, hit them, bro. So Daniel's the first old Testament book to speak explicitly of the resurrection of individual people. Oh, wow. Verse 2 right there. Yeah. Read verse 2 for us. Verse 2 says, Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Mm -hmm. So when that day comes and all the terrible troubles are past, those who have shown themselves wise by their faithful obedience to God will rise to shine like stars forever. Wow. And all evil will be done away. But as for times, those are in God's hand. Not even Daniel understands this. So a cautious approach to these matters may still be the wisest counsel. So Michael stands up in the time of trouble. The Jewish people are delivered if their names found written in the book. The dead are resurrected, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. The righteous and wise shall shine like the stars. Daniel is told to shut up his words and seal the book until the end of time. The time of trouble will be for a time, times and half a time, so three and a half years. And God will purify and preserve his people and set a limit of days to the time of trouble. So, blessed is he who waits to day 1335. And then Daniel's told to go on his way. Dang. That is so wild. Dude, verse 2 is crazy. Because, like, things like, you know, the idea of, like, individuals raised up to everlasting life or everlasting, like, disgrace. You know? Because, like, heaven and hell are just, like, concepts that are so like just mainstream that like people talk about all the time but like Mm -hmm. to actually like hear like an origin point of it like where did that come from like it's kind of cool to like see that in scripture itself like and saying that like you know people are gonna rise to life and people are gonna be disgraced you know it's it's like it just gives you that perspective about eternity that you can easily forget just like in everyday life that there is more to life than just this life yeah it's so crazy. Because <laughs> we always have such simple minds and we're in the present. Yeah. And it's important to sometimes read scripture like this and be yeah. brought into the future and into realms that we don't understand and they're really deep. Yeah. It is. And I'm glad we've done it. 
but that's about it. Like, we've done it. We've done it. Daniel chapter 12. That's 12 chapters. That's the whole book of Daniel. Of Daniel! Daniel. Yeah. It's a, we ended up taking about two hours. I, I didn't know how long this was going to go, but two hours feels pretty okay. It's like, the Bible, bro. Yeah, I mean, like, we can never talk too much about the Bible. Am I right or am I right? I'm right. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if this really fit the format that I originally had in mind. No. Of the past, present, future thing, but... We just kind of did it as we went. Yeah, I think that might be more how it goes, generally speaking, moving forward, but... I feel like it's really hard to take all of your application things and save them for the end yeah and true. Not... you kind of apply stuff all yeah. along the way i feel like it's better as we go through the chapter yeah. to apply it right otherwise you forget your applications and people don't understand them if they're just out of context no that's totally true so i don't know i don't know if there's like a better structural way to format or if we're just gonna like spontaneously do it moving forward but this has been like a good beta episode of scripture summaries yeah i feel we, like we wanted to try it out with just the boys and yeah see what happens and we're gonna keep we're gonna keep coming um but before we finish i do have like a few things i want to touch on just to kind of close out the little the little time here so um so i i, I just wanted to mention the top chapters dan what were you like your favorite chapters of daniel bro 10 in those couple of verses so good nine in those three verses that could be jesus yes or the antichrist because of that one moment with uh (laughs) besides that i was confusing yeah seven seven is a really good indicator for the future yeah ten seven and six those are the best nice or you said nine not six i guess six because like daniel lines then yeah yeah no nine is nine is cool but like without that moment i would not understand nine yeah so i like six seven and ten that's cool i think for me my top ones are six and ten for sure i think three will always have a special place in my heart i always love the fiery furnace story i mean it's so good that one that one's gonna stick with me forever and then i also really think chapter four is underrated i really love nebby nebby and his story of just like being torn down to nothing but then like finding the lord like it's just powerful to me the idea of god bringing prideful people to redemption not just like to ruin like he brings them to ruin to bring them to redemption like it's really cool that whole process to me so as somebody who's like gotten prideful in my past like Mm -hmm. i can relate to nebby in some ways and like it's been really powerful how god has taken me from that place of pride to you know, to be humbled again and to be reminded just of how everything is all about him. And that's what matters most. So, yeah. Yeah. And then best verses, like we kind of went over verses the whole time, um, but we did have one audience verse recommendation. So I guess we'll read that real quick. Yeah. um, We didn't really have a whole lot of feedback for Daniel. I don't know if that'll change for future books. We might, I don't know. Um, But we had this girl named Monica. I don't know her last name. I think it's like Rayburg or something. Yeah, Monica School. Yeah, you know Monica? Yeah. Monica, we know you. We see you. <laughs> and you sent in these verses as your favorite verses in Daniel. It's chapter 2, verses 19 to 23. And this is like right after Daniel gets his first revelation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Um, when he wants to like burn all the dream interpreters or whatever. And so, uh, it says that night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes Kings and sets up other Kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God. 
of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. And I think that's just like a really good scripture that just gives like so much um, insight to God's character that like can be applied and taken out of the context of Daniel. And still to this day, like, you know, God's a God who gives wisdom. He's a God who controls. He's a God who should be praised forever, is always powerful, always revealing deep and mysterious things and surrounded by light. Like just all these aspects of God's character are things that we can hold on to um, coming out of the book for sure. Um, so then the last thing I just wanted to go over is just I had like four themes that I felt like were the biggest themes of Daniel from my Ooh, takeaways. I love themes. Okay. So the first theme was just faithfulness because I feel like we just see that in Daniel and we see that in the fire boys. Like all of them just like they stick by God even when it's going to result in them going into the lion's den or it's going to result in them getting thrown in a furnace. Like yes. they're faithful even to the point of getting punished for it. Then the second thing is just God's ability to humble people and to meet those who humble themselves. So like the humbling of Nebi, like how when he does like, you know, he gets all humbled and then God is able to use that to bring him to a place of finding him. And then also when Daniel humbles himself or like when Darius humbles himself through fasting, that God will meet them. So just like the beauty of humbleness um, and humility. Mm -hmm. Then... The third theme was just the God of the nations. Like, I just feel like there was so much in this book about how God is the God who is, um, who's not just the God of Israel, but he's the God of, of all nations. And, um, and Dan's going to read this incredible quote again. <laughs> no matter how powerful the opposing forces, God will in due time defeat them all. For God, the God of Israel, is sovereign ruler of the world. The world. At all times and in all places. In all times and all places. The and world. I feel like that just comes across so well. And then the last thing that I really liked is actually, oh, and I was going to mention this one last verse in chapter 9. Because um, there's, so after Gabriel shows up, so this is like the chapter where Daniel's like, you know, being very open about how we don't deserve help, like, Mm -hmm. And he's very much laying down any spirit of entitlement and saying like, God, like, yo, like we don't deserve you, but please help us anyways. Um, Gabriel ends up saying to Daniel, the moment you began praying, a command was given. Now I'm here to tell you what it was for. You are very precious to God. Listen carefully so you can understand the meaning of your vision. And I feel like that was kind of like the fourth thematic thing I noticed, especially in chapters nine and 10, when Daniel's just so like overwhelmed by all of the things that God's revealing to him and just feeling like it's almost too much for him to handle. Like um, you get this reminder in chapter nine and again in chapter 10 from the angels that, um, that Daniel's very precious to God. And, you know, specifically this is applying to Daniel, but I think it can also be more broadly applied in the sense that when we are God's children, when we are after his heart, mm -hmm. like he sees us as precious. And I think that's something so important to latch onto in this world is that like, we're not just like slaves or servants of God, but that we are children of God, um, seen as precious in his sight. And so, yeah, those are kind of like the four main things is just staying humble, staying faithful, um, remembering that God will wait the heck i'm sorry i'm just like reading my notes here okay <laughs> so these are like the four tips to apply based on this theme stay humble stay faithful remember god will 
reign forever. That's what that says. <gasps> yes. Yeah, that's that's like the nation's thing. He's going to reign over all the nations forever. And then remember that he sees his children as precious in his sight. And that includes probably you. I mean, unless you're like some active rebel who's like a Satanist or something, then you're probably precious in his sight. So there you go. That That's, that's my takeaways. Dan, do you have any like major takeaways besides your inspirational quotes of wonders? Unless you want to say it again. <laughs> God, the God of Israel is sovereign ruler of the world. At all times and in all places. For his people, this means one thing. Total loyalty to him, no matter how powerful the opposing force is. God will in due time, which is his own, defeat them all. I also want to add that, I don't know, I like how they really enforce this. And we could come back to it continually throughout the whole book of Daniel. And it's cool that when you find a good, succinct summary of it and you go through the parts and you take it apart a little bit you realize that it all has the same core the same value to humble yourself to be calm to honor your leaders but to trust the lord in all things and be loyal yeah regardless of what the consequences or circumstances may be yep and it's tough to trust them it's tough to it's tough to be loyal it's tough to do all the things in this book yeah but daniel did them and daniel was a messed up dude he yeah. wasn't perfect. Right. He was really, really cool. And he seems pretty perfect in a lot of moments, but he's not. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of, like, Daniel's flaws. Like, we don't, like, see him getting drunk like Noah or, like, killing a man for his wife like David or anything like that in this book. But what we do see is we see a lot of just, like, just humanness in him. Like, not even necessarily sin, but, like, I guess, like, kind of sin. Because, like, sin is just missing, missing the mark. But it's mm-hmm. not like it's not, like, blatant sin in the sense of, like, disobeying god like we don't really see any of that from daniel in this book but we do see how like even a super obedient servant to god who's loyal and who's faithful can still struggle like we still see even in moments where daniel's receiving these very extravagant visions from above like from these angels like he's still sick he's still confused he still doesn't understand everything and it shows that you can be a devout servant of god and not be living in disobedience but still be weak and like there's still a weakness that we have and it's still a need to depend on god that we have and the loyalty and the faithfulness is hard but daniel's an evidence that even though it's hard and even though it's gonna be you know challenging at times in our human weakness like that it's still worth it so Mm. yeah so there you go there you go there you go that's the book of daniel Coming at you live. Scripture summary number one is done. 65 to go. (laughs) So, Dan, how did you feel about that first run through the Bible? It was really fun. Yeah. I learned way more talking about it than I did reading it. Yeah. That's the thing is like, you know, like when, like in the past, and like a huge part of like why I wanted to even do this is because in the past I've tried to do Bible reading plans and like, and like Bible reading plans can be really good and fruitful and you can get so much out of them. But there's just like a whole different amount that you can get out of scripture from like discussing it with brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are some books in the Bible that like we probably have discussed before, like a lot of especially New Testament stuff, like it's discussed a bunch in Bible studies and in just like normal everyday church settings, because it's a lot of stuff that you can apply more like immediately. So like a lot of those books, maybe we've talked about to death, but like and not, and like a lot of them we could talk about even more like and they, we will talk about them even more when they come up on the show. 
But like, I'm really excited for this because it's going to give us a chance to talk about the books that maybe have never been talked about before. Mm -hmm. Or like the books that like we have never really had a discussion with about with anybody. And now we get to have that discussion. We get to just like be mind blown by these parts of God that we didn't know about. And even the parts that we thought we knew, like things like the fiery furnace story or like the lion's den, like I totally got different views and different takeaways. And even just like the first chapter, like all that stuff about like the culture, like, you know, I could relate Mongolia in so many ways. And so like, there's just so many ways that we can apply these things to our lives and, and like just talking about it with somebody else just really brings scripture alive in a new way. So I'm so, I'm so, this has been good. <laughs> and, and I feel like it's like the start of something epic. This is the start of something new. Yeah, scripture summaries. Summaries. So um, so what you guys can expect next week, or I guess just like this whole week in the podcast. So the plan right now is on Friday, me and Dan will be back with our Build Your Own Winter Jam episode. We're going to we're gonna do a classic Fiery Friday. It's Dan's week off of substitute teaching. So he's like on spring break, so he gets to just chill, and so that means we can, means we can have a classy breakfast on Friday with some eggs and orange juice, and mm. then we can just talk about which would be our perfect concert of ten bands for ten dollars. And I think we'll probably have a guest star. It'll probably be Izzy or Ellie or both. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. Or those maybe people, it'll just be us. Like bands. Yeah, it could just be us too, and that would be awesome because I know that me and Dan could really go on. For a while about all the bands and artists that we love um so that's on friday and the next sunday we'll be coming at you live with our first new fiery little coal of the season it's this guy named zach zachary zachary k um which i think you've met him right dan yeah zach k yeah zach k. yeah so me and him like we went to culver's together yesterday and it was super cool um but he is going to join us for our second book that we're going to be doing which is Zechariah, because we did a book on Dan's name, so we have to do a book that's based on my name. Yep. And so we'll be doing the book of Zechariah next Sunday with Zach K. Um, just got to figure out what time and all that shenanigans, but it shouldn't be too hard. Zechariah is an interesting one, too, because it's probably a book I have less overall like foreknowledge about than Daniel. So it's an, it's one of those books that, as I was talking about earlier, that like there's probably very little context in my life. I would ever discuss the book of Zechariah with people except in a room with Dan and, and another Zach. So it's going to be super good. It's going to be a fun guest star. We're going to have a blast. Um, but yeah, those are the two things coming on the immediate docket. And I'm sure we'll have more cool episodes as the season moves along. But Dan, um, do you have anything else to say to the people? Hey, people. Yes. Be loyal to the Lord. Yes. And in all times and in all ways. Yes. God has the victory. Yo. That's what's up. That's what's up. That's Daniel. That's what's up. That's what the book's about. Daniel means God is my judge. Mm. And therefore, he is a good and faithful judge to those who obey and are loyal to his decrees. So true. Stay humble. Love the Lord. And until next time. Keep the fire burning.